0: There's a common misconception that Miami-Dade is a melting pot. We are not a melting pot. I say we are far more akin to a TV dinner where sometimes the peas fall over into the mashed potatoes. But we are not. We do not mix well. We don't. We create these fiefdoms based on race, based on on nation of origin. Uh, everybody outside of Miami just thinks Hispanic or Latino. It's right. like no, hell no. I gotta tell you, being a white man in America, I won the genetic lottery. I could just shut the fuck up and be a much more successful and wealthy man than I am now. I don't have the stomach for it, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I don't have the stomach to just just sort of like see injustice and just be like, I'm good with that because mm-hmm. me and mine are evil. I don't think that putting your head in the sand and pretending that everything is okay. just hunky-dory mm-hmm. is helpful. And so I'm gonna use my my belief pulpit. okay you know uh, to speak truth to, to power and and that means shining a spotlight on what's fucked up and what's broken.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm super excited to be here with Billy Corbin, one of the most notable and entertaining Miami-bred professional storytellers, producers, and entrepreneurs. Thank you again, Billy, for taking the time to sit down with me. I have been a fan of your work since I first saw Cocaine Cowboys and of course, 30 for 30, the U, huge you fan. And then I started following you on IG and the because Florida and because Miami are my favorite hashtags and I want to get into that later so I always get a chuckle out of your tongue-in-cheek posts. so we finally got a chance to meet our actually I kind of stopped him at the stars premiere of the Warriors of Liberty City a few months ago so great show yes we have an opportunity to sit down and learn a little bit more about your backstory The premise of this show is to discuss some of the challenges that successful entrepreneurs such as yourself had to overcome to kind of give our listeners, as corny as it sounds, some inspiration and hope to see how we can overcome.
0: Or or that we create for ourselves. The obstacles that we create for ourselves. Like my my Twitter feed, for example, would be an obstacle I create for myself.
1: (laughs) Which is absolutely hilarious.
0: Then it's worth it.
1: It's totally worth it. So, yes, Billy, show off some of your Miami-isms. You, what schools did you go to here?
0: Oh, yeah, I went to Highland Oaks Elementary School, Highland Oaks Middle School, uh, in part for for uh, my junior high years. And then I went to New World School of the Arts High School uh, oh. in downtown Miami, where my claim to fame was I was the uh, only person who would drive uh, Terrell McCraney home to Liberty City. Uh, <laughs> Terrell McCraney, of course, is the Academy Award-winning co-writer of uh, of moonlight and that was my claim to fame and I, I don't know that I necessarily remembered that until he told me that story many many years later uh, that he, that I was the only one who would drive him <laughs> back I guess everybody else was like my parents don't let me drive
1: well, into that neighborhood and
0: I went and I went ever I drove everywhere in those days because when you go to a you go to a magnet school like New World School of the Arts is, which is a performing arts high school modeled after the the high school for the performing arts in New York, which is famous, of course, for the movie and TV show Fame. That's what the high school was based on. Okay. And so they had different disciplines, music, theater, uh, dance, uh, visual arts, and you have to audition to get in. And then there was 420, 30, 40, 50 people in the whole school. That's ninth through 12. So individual classes, I mean, total classes, nine through 12, they each had maybe a hundred. And I think I graduated in a class of, of 104, 105 students. So yeah, really competitive, really small. It's still a public school, Miami-Dade County public school, but you're dual enrolled in Miami-Dade. What uh, At the time was community college. It had two C's in those oh, days. Okay. Miami-Dade community college, now Miami-Dade college. And so because it's a magnet school, it's open to students all over the county, mm-hmm. Miami-Dade County, big county, one of the largest school systems in the country. And so I had friends now from all over the county, right. which really because when you go to your home school, you know it's neighborhood. Like I rode my bike to elementary school and to middle school, so you're it's all neighborhood kids, you know. So you, like you don't really get outside your your bubble or your your, your, neighbor, your universe. Yeah. yeah. So this was exciting because like suddenly it opened up. The map for me, mm-hmm. like I suddenly started checking on my checklist of municipalities in Miami Dade <laughs> County. I've been everywhere. I've been to Hialeah. I've been to Pinecrest. Liberty I've been to West Pine. I've been to Liberty City. I've, those aren't some of those aren't municipalities, but just neighborhoods that I otherwise would not have found myself in because suddenly I had friends from school who were were coming from all over. I got went on the metro rail for the first time <laughs> to go down to Dade you know. Uh, and then there were places from my childhood that were only illuminated on my map of Miami Dade because. We had gone there. My grandparents loved the Chinese restaurant Canton when it was in Coral Gable. So we'd go there. I'd been to Santa's and Shannon Forest. I'd been to the Falls once as a kid. But when you're not driving, like, you don't... The whole map isn't illuminated. Right. It's just that one spot. So all of a sudden I started connecting dots like, oh, like, I went to this comic book store on Bird Road when I was a kid. Now all of a sudden, like, my friend Liz lives over there from high school. And like, all of a sudden the whole world like opened up. It was, you know, I dated a girl who lived in Pinecrest. I didn't, you know, I was like, what the hell is Pinecrest? Like, oh, there's the Falls. I've been to the Falls Where's before. Yeah. So okay. it, was, it was like Legend of Zelda. I don't know if you remember the old I, school Nintendo. That, okay, old school that. NES. <laughs> I'm talking about original Nintendo. Oh, or Nintendo OG. Like, there was the map. And as you travel to different parts of it, it would literally illuminate. The whole map was like kind of darkish, and then it would like the different pods would like illuminate. That's what like Miami Day was like for me. All of a sudden, there was like all these pods illuminated, but then I would start to connect the dots, and suddenly the whole map just lit up for me. And I would just like, and I was like, it's a pretty interesting place. And then, of course, more and more municipalities started to form. We now have 34, Mm -hmm. and you start to get to know this or understand the kind of tribal nature. Of a community like this, because you know, I, I always say that there's a common misconception that Miami-Dade is a melting pot. We are not a melting pot. I say we are far more akin to a TV dinner where sometimes the peas fall over into the mashed potatoes. But we are not. We do not mix well. We don't. We have these. We create these fiefdoms based on race, based on on nation of origin. Uh, everybody outside of Miami just thinks Hispanic or Latino. Right. It's like no, hell no. <laughs> Like that's, you know, and, and statistically, you know, there are polls, uh, you know, Hispanic and Latin people hate being called Hispanic or Latin people. They want to be identified by their, right. and rightfully so, their nation of origin. Right. They're not Hispanic. They're Puerto Rican. They're not Latin. They're Cuban. They're Dominican. They're, you know, you, yeah, they're Spanish speaking countries, but they're, you know, the Spanish is a little bit different and their, you know, cultures are, are different and people take a lot of pride in that. You can't, Fault them for that, but then it creates a sort of self a system of self-segregation, where I-, I say it's like it's like Game of Thrones in Paradise with fewer dragons. I like that, Billy.
1: So what were you, okay? What did you study at New World?
0: I was a well, ballerina. Thing. No, okay, I'm just so kidding. It, well, I was in the what we called the straight theater division. Okay. I say straight theater because it was musical theater, and then there was straight theater. So I was in—I was not in musical theater. I was in what we called straight theater or just theater.
1: So you're obviously a very witty and creative guy. And is, it, is
0: it obvious? It's very obvious
1: from your social media. Just interacting with you, this. This, uh, there are
0: mayors class. who would disagree with you, but we're going to get into
1: that. I'm excited. I'm excited to get into that because I feel like Billy can say certain things that I just don't have the guts to say.
0: Let me be your inner monologue. I'll be the little devil on your shoulder. Yes,
1: the angel on my shoulder. So, how did you? Okay, so how did you transition from theater to such a talented? a filmmaker, and you said theater, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. But I, so were you... I was always interested in... I was a child actor when I was a kid, um, okay. and, and that's what really got me interested in that. I, I was not athletically inclined. Uh, my brother was a very gifted athlete when okay. we were kids. I was not. My claim to fame in athletics uh, was that I, I struck out my first at-bat at the NMB Optimist T-Ball League, and that's that. that
1: congratulations. That's
0: the end of that. Okay. I mean, you know, T-Ball. The ball's on a stick. You just got to hit the ball on the stick. It's not moving. Yeah. And by the way, if you hit the tee, it's a strike. That doesn't count. You have to hit the ball.
1: So after that, you just decided. Let me just. I was
0: like, I'm not. I'm with- not cut out for this. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so I had I had a friend who was doing TV commercials in in Miami in the 80s. It was like a lot of that kind of work down here. What you know, what they call modeling work or commercial work or catalog work. And then there was TV shows. A lot of TV shows and movies down here at the time. It's not like that anymore. Mm-hmm. But back then, there was a ton of stuff. Agencies and photographers and and casting directors. It was exciting. And so there was a, a woman. I at the time a girl, little girl at the time. She's a woman now. Okay. But. but she was a little girl I saw on TV riding a bicycle in a Sears commercial. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Mm -hmm. And I said, I want to do that. And my parents were, like, ridiculously supportive people. They, like, my brother wanted to, you know, sports was his after-school activity. This became my, going out on auditions and stuff became my after-school activity. So I went on auditions, and I was just booking left and right. I did a commercial for just about everything you can, and you name a product sector. As a As a kid, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, you name a product sector, I did it. Cereal, sandwich meats, Fast food, See, detergent, Go toys, ahead. you okay. name it. And I was in a, a bank, like, you name it, and I was in a commercial for it. And then um, started to do film and television stuff. Ron Howard, okay. also a recovering child actor himself, like came to Florida to do the movie Parenthood. Um, okay. came out in 89, we shot it in 88, predominantly in Orlando, in what, what Universal had not been built yet as okay. a theme park, but they did have some studios on the lot. The whole theory was to make it like, this is a working movie studio, just right. like the original theme park right. out west in the studio city was. So here it was like, like kind of like, let's move a bunch, let's do a bunch of stuff here. They did Psycho 4, they did a bunch of Nickelodeon shows, they oh, did um, they did the new Leave it to Beaver, then they did Parenthood. Like, they wanted to be like, oh, it's a movie studio and now we're building a right. theme park. And it was kind of... The other way around in real life, but they came casting for that. And I, I got a speaking role in Parenthood on the kid who curses at the birthday party in, in Parenthood. And that's what I claimed <laughs> the to fame there. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, we started going out to LA, started to do a pilot every year, some great guest spots, some movie ro- roles. So it was cool. And then, and then when I hit 15, 16 years old, like every year my, my parents would be like, Are you done yet? Like, like have you grown thinking, out of this yet? It was a phase Right, thinking it was a phase, right. and like my brother, you know, playing sports, or like you know, you, you take kids to dance class or whatever you do. And then they like they're over it, right. you know, like so I grew, I did, I grew out of it eventually, and I was like, you know what, I want to retire. <laughs> it was like 15, you know, okay. I was like, I want to retire, and I want to. Um, none of those shows that I did a pilot for got picked up. <laughs> um, you only do one pilot a year, and then and like the last two pilots I did, Hillary Swank. Was in oh, both of them. Okay, so nah, I was in bo- it? Yeah, but no, but but more importantly, those shows didn't get picked up. Otherwise, it probably would have ruined our careers. If you think about it, we'd have been stuck on some shitty show. We might be a whole hell of a lot richer now, but like we would not have had the careers that you know she wouldn't have won two Oscars. Uh, I wouldn't have gone to Sundance. You know, so um, it was after that I came home. I really wanted to go to normal high school, but I turned out to go to New World, which is anything but normal. a normal high school. It's a very special, very unique, um, very important place that that inexplicably struggles for funding every single year. And I I think it's difficult for me to put it in in perspective. I think it takes a real writer to do that. And and Terrell McCraney says, in no uncertain terms, New World School of the Arts saved my life, meaning his life. I'm (laughs) quoting him, not my life, you know. Um, But, you know, he was a gay African-American in Liberty City Mm -hmm. who had a Hell of a time in middle school, you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And New World, he says, saved his mm-hmm. life. You know, because I remember, like, just nobody at New World, we were so busy being kids, being artists, re- creating art, rehearsing for shows, doing art, music, whatever. No one had time for... Yeah, it was still high school. Don't right. get it twisted. But nobody had time to hate gay people mm-hmm. or hate black people or hate... Like, just because they were gay. Like, no, we had so much like common... Culture. Yeah, we had so much common ground mm-hmm. that it was like... That wasn't... And I'm not going to say, like, we didn't sort of organically... Create clicks amongst people who were, you know, I I was friends with both of the Jewish kids at the school. Like, was you like, there's no doubt right, that, that you that's definitely that's gravitate. Right. Yeah, um, that's an unfortunate natural uh, uh, tendency of of, of humans. Mm-hmm. But nobody hated anybody else for no good reason. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, it was not that type of mentality at that school. Nobody gave a shit. We were all artists. Everybody assumed everybody was gay. Nobody, you know what I mean? Like, it didn't matter. Like, it didn't it didn't prevent us from doing anything that any of us wanted to do, which was spend time together, have fun together. Or make art together so I, I i and i took it for granted you know i didn't i don't think i understood because we just had that mentality right that we just didn't care I mean, it, like people would come out as straight at our school you know i mean like you're like you're straight you're like, well, hey, Gandalo, you know who knew you know like you know like it was like but but like so and i just didn't think that way and in a weird way it was almost uh it, it did not quite prepare me for the real world in a way because i had no idea how I think how tough yeah. life is yeah. in the real world for some people being a white male, you know. And so, like, I, I didn't realize, like, how, and for Terrell, even tougher in the African-American community, mm-hmm. being a gay male. Like, I didn't really understand that, you know, and... and um. So,
1: someone of a shelter. You were in a way. In a, yeah. And then when you went home, so your parents were super supportive, and I was thinking maybe liberal is not the word, but they let you drive
0: all over by yourself. I was a designated driver. I was terribly, I didn't start drinking until I was 21. I didn't do any, I tried pot for the first time just a few years ago. It was 420. I was in Denver. What was I going to do? Then the first year I went to Denver, the first year I went to Denver for 420, I was backstage at a Snoop concert. Made the hot Did not smoke. Oh. First of all, you get secondhand stone backstage okay, at this new concert in Denver, back. Colorado. But, but like, I didn't smoke, and like, I came home, and they were like, "Oh, did you try all the?" Right, pie? Right. And I was, you know, this is pre Amendment Two here, okay. and everything, you know. And I'm like, "No, I don't smoke." And they're like, "You went to Denver on 4:20 backstage, you've got, and you didn't smoke." And I was like, "No," and they're like, "It's like going to Italy
1: and not eating, seeing the Pope pasta. and not oh, eating, right, and
0: not eating pizza right, or pasta, right." And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So the next time I went, I tried it. I didn't like it.
1: So, but, Billy, <laughs> do you intentionally... Okay. You okay know said? Your mind is very creative. Do you try to intentionally go against the grain? Or this is just innate in you?
0: Yes. To the former. To, I mean, it's, to it's, a, it's a yes to your either-or question. I mean, I would say... First and foremost I th- I think you know uh, I studied poli sci at the University of Miami. I left that part out. I did go I also went on to the U after after New World School of the Arts. So I'm a product of the Miami Dade County public school system, um and a graduate of the University of Miami. So I'm I'm a functioning illiterate, is what I'm trying to tell you. Uh, but irregardless, as we say in Miami. 'Cause we're, 'cause we're that's so Because 'cause we're illiterate. But I, I use it I use it irironically. That's how I use it. So okay. I will I will tell you that um I have a tendency. Poli Sci was my area of study because I, the plan was to, to have like a pre law curriculum and possibly go into to become a lawyer. Um, which for many years following uh, my graduation from the University of Miami, my mother was disappointed, I think, that I didn't didn't <laughs> pursue the law. But but I, I will tell you that um, we were like I wasn't on the debate team or anything like that. But we were very. I'll give you an example. David Sipkin, sitting here, is our our partner at at But who I've known for so long, our, our parents used to bathe us together. We were sophomores in high school, so not kidding. No, we literally nursery school, literally That's preschool. Yes, and um, and so um, we were working together on our first documentary. I took. He graduated FSU because nobody's perfect, um, but it is, the, it is the best, one of the best film schools in the country, and certainly the best film school in the state. So we went to FSU Film. I was very envious of okay. of, of only that, not Tallahassee. Not gonna say, not Seminoles, but only the fact that it was a. Well, I was jealous. Also, they had a lot of Waffle Houses, and we didn't have any Waffle Houses. Right, in that just In got that
1: time, Mine Gardens. Right. That's
0: right. Tr- Carroll City. And so I we did this documentary called Raw Deal: A Question of Consent. It was our first doc. I took a leave of absence from UM to to work on it. Dave was out of FSU. He moved to Gainesville because it was a UF okay. story. It was about the alleged. Um, uh, sexual assault of an exotic dancer at a fraternity house at the University of Florida in Gainesville, and so we moved there for a month and just worked on this. And it was our first doc. We started to we made the decision to work on it in January of 2000, and by January of 2001, one we were premiering at the Sundance Film Festival. At the time, we were the youngest filmmakers in the history of the festival and the only ones from from Miami. And part of the it was about I told you what it was about, but mm-hmm. the entire night's events of this big brother, little brother, you know, frat mixer event Mm -hmm. where they hired these exotic dancers to perform. It was all captured on video, including the better part of what Lisa had alleged was her assault. Mm -hmm. And the videotape footage had been put into the public record by virtue of our sunshine laws here Mm -hmm. in the state of Florida, our very open government, um, chapter 119 public records laws. And, um, it, it became a scandal and a cause celeb in Gainesville at the time. And so what we did was we pursued an investigation where we interviewed the woman, we interviewed some of the fraternity men, and then used the videotape footage, uh, uncensored, to kind of kind tell of the story. Yeah. right. And so it was very scandalous. It was very controversial. And in fact, when we were putting it together, Devil's Advocate was the name of the game. It was the only way to make it fair and make it work. Mm-hmm. And the critical response was... Pretty outraged, outrageous, but by and large, I think the Scotsman, which when we went to the Edinburgh Film Festival, they called it a triumph of objective reporting because people watch the documentary mm-hmm. and change their mind, mm-hmm. not only back and forth over the course of the documentary, but if they have multiple viewings of it, they'll leave with a different conclusion, for example. So, but that was, I think, the success of that experience and it was because we were so argumentative with each other in fact dave over our final cut pro editing system we were we were using like version 1.0 a final <laughs> cut pro it was a nightmare by the way the movie would literally get trapped on the on the computer the hard drives but dave wrote took a he took a piece of printer paper and a sharpie and he wrote this that this became like the the phrase in the, mo- the movie and he hung it over It said welcome to the argument and he hung it over the editing system because every time someone would come into the editing room, which, by the way, was my apartment, mm-hmm. people, my grandpa would be visiting somebody, they would, they'd immediately—they'd watch 12 seconds of footage over my shoulder or over Dave's shoulder. Over, and the next thing you know, for the next hour and a half, everybody was like screaming who- and yelling, throwing stuff around. Everybody was, and we were constantly challenging each other. And, and we're saying, if we put in this footage of... Lisa saying this and this video footage, we have to put in this soundbite from the men saying, and the, right. so there was, and we would switch sides. So we were able to argue all, and we just kept each other fair and we kept each other objective and we kept the peace that way too. So in a way we were sort of naturally inclined to, as you say, go against the grain, play devil's advocate. Um, at the same time, it seems to be our natural Inclination is as, as well Meaning that like the, the, There's the There's just a part of me And I, I There are times At which I'll, I'll Confess I wish I could time I enough. could suppress okay. <laughs> Or exterminate it But the idea That if you see hypocrisy mm-hmm. Or unfairness Or corruption Or injustice You gotta put a spotlight on it And our docs do that On a, on a larger scale mm-hmm. I say larger scale Because they take a long time To make sometimes right. But Twitter lets you do it Immediately You know or as Reverend Run said in Tanya of America, immediately, you know, <laughs> immediately. You you know. So th- and that creates a little bit more of a stir, arguably, because you're in a the mix and yeah, people can lot. reply. Right. And, and the, the, some of the politicians and, and police chiefs and mayors and they can reply in real time and, and and shit gets real and real exciting. And I really enjoy that. And I think but one of the keys, I think, you know, as as and I've been I've prescribed this theory for many years, Andrew Gillum kept calling out uh, Donald Trump like at me at me like you talk shit about me at me you know I got to hear from other people you right. know like so me, I, me I, yeah, I'm big think. on that I'm big on me like if I'm gonna if I'm gonna call out an agency or a politician or a public figure you at I'm going you because I want them to have the op- I'm not talking about you behind your back we're all adults here <laughs> you, it's like if you want to defend yourself you want to chime in you want to like you know like, I want you to be able to – some of them have thin skins that block you or whatever, but, like uh, – which is unconstitutional, that's, by the way. Spoiler alert. Unconstitutional I I, if you are a public official using your account f- to disseminate uh, information in your official capacity to your constituents or to the public. Um, but that's been a lot of fun, too, I'm calling them out on that. But, like, <laughs> but, but, but my point is that, like, I'm not doing it to rabble-rouse. Do- and, and, and I – the number of people I hear about who don't feel like they have a voice – Uh, The number of people I hear about who feel like um, even if they do have a platform for the the sake of their livelihood or their sanity or their safety, they feel they cannot utilize that that platform. Um, I I don't know. It's it's it's. It sounds hokey and and I hate saying it it is it like a calling? Is it something that I just feel a responsibility to do? I feel like if if people are gonna say you matter if someone's gonna put if Twitter's gonna put that blue check right. by your name and give you some credi- credibility, some validity, um you gotta try to use it for good. Mm-hmm. you know do I get it right every time? Nobody does you know, but I think I get it right more often than I get it wrong, and more importantly i I feel like you know I was you know. I was. Gonna, it's more your
1: truth, not necessarily right or wrong. I I think, like you said, not many people have the courage, but they're so afraid of the repercussions that most yes. people just keep their mouths closed. Yes. and just either like your picture, or don't even want to like the picture because yeah. they're scared going to sit on floor.
0: <laughs> so my, I, I was going to ask really, what are I your think thoughts? The, I think here? the truth is arguably more important than my truth. That's what I try to strive for. I, I, I can do me. But that's different from like the tr- I like I try. That's what I try to I try to go. Try for. to shed light on the the truth. the truth. I don't know that there's any such thing as right, that any, anymore anymore. But like I just you know that's the thing too is that sometimes you know my, my truth I think is a beautiful thing to say for people who have unique experiences. Mm-hmm. But much like you know a term like fake news or something, it can be abused by people who are, you know, who want to say my truth could also be alternative facts. That's, that's, that's not fair, okay. That's very That's true. not okay. Yeah. I don't, I, I, I just, I feel like the idea that there isn't a truth anymore is scary. Um, and I think when people speak their truth or say, I'm speaking my truth, they're speaking the truth is what they're speaking of people who are having, but people, people who are, who are speaking the truth about their experiences in the world that maybe other people can't, Relate to you can't just say oh that's your truth because your 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 LGBTQ right. and trans that's your it's not their truth it's the yeah, truth it, uh, it right. is the reality right. of their life and their world that that we say that's not my truth only because it, it's that that's yeah, my, my experience but that's still right. the truth it's still like the that. truth it's not your experience Exper- right it's still the but it's still the truth, truth. and I I, oh, I don't want I don't want to belittle people's experience mm-hmm. and I don't want to because that's listen it's real easy I gotta tell you being a white man in America I won the genetic lottery. I could just shut the fuck up and be a much more successful and wealthy man than I am now. I, I don't have the stomach for it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't have the stomach to just, to just sort of Sit like see injustice and-, and just be like, I'm good with that because mm-hmm. me and mine are eating. That's not what, then what, what? what's the point of this? This is a, this is a shared experience, this earth, you know, like we're all in, a, we're all in this, Miami is a shared experience. We don't, act that way, we you know, it, I, I would say that's why they call it Miami. Everybody's so selfish. Right. That it's, it's my, it's not our Miami. it's my fucking Miami, you know, like, and that's how people drive, that's how people treat each other. There's no reason for that. I want to, you know, it's just like, why can't we just say, like, yeah, we're all stuck here on the 836 together. You don't got to be an asshole without a turn signal and cut me off to get one car length ahead. Like, let's just chill out. We're all in this together, man. You know, like, why can't we just share this?
1: Then it wouldn't be Miami.
0: Ain't that the truth? So, I
1: sort of feel like we're—I mean, we are highly critical sometimes of our hometown. But I'm the type of person if someone else was to say something negative about Miami and/or Florida, I so get somewhat—I kind of get
0: defensive. So I He's just like—I can say that I because say I am that. a Miami. I am yeah. a Miami. But <laughs> some of my best I, friends are Miamians. Right. <laughs> my, my accountant is a Miamian. My lawyer is a Miamian. So I can say that.
1: <laughs> so I was just curious though, Billy, because I always get a kick out of. The highly critical nature of some of your commentary, like you said, exposing the truth. But what are some of your favorite things about Miami? Oh, the, I, listen, the good, the good stuff. Besides I, the the, I mean, I guess you could say the weather, but that's so
0: you know co- the, the, the the comedian Jeff Ross, very famous for this the you know the roasts, mm-hmm. um, the Friars Club and Comedy Central roasts. He said the name of his book and his slogan and is you know, we only roast the ones we love. And I love to hear from people who are just like, you, you talk shit so much about, you hate Miami so much, why don't you just move? And I'm like, I'm like if you, you know, if, if this is your home, mm-hmm. if this is what you love, if this is where you love, like, you should make it better. You should work to make it better. And I don't think that putting your head in the sand and pretending that everything is helpful. just hunky-dory mm-hmm. is helpful, are there cons- more constructive ways of doing it? Maybe, but I don't think so. Because people try constructive ways of doing it and don't get anywhere. And so I'm going to use my, my bully pulpit, I call it my billy pulpit, okay, you know, uh, to speak truth to, to power. and And that means shining a spotlight on what's fucked up and what's broken. Um, people are like you always talk shit. That's all you do is nag. It's like, what are we my Twitter. For? That's not. That's not true. Some of this stuff is fun. Some of this stuff is funny. Some of this stuff is promoting good businesses and good restaurants and good work that people are doing in the community. And uh, but it's not my job to promote tourism to tell everybody that everything's right. okay. It's not economic development, that, um, right? That everything's safe. I'm not with the downtown development authority. I'm not with Greater Miami and the beaches. I'm not, not putting, putting on some. Yeah. Some, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Bullshit. Uh, a propaganda nonsense about all that. This, this real estate is all money laundering. It's all flight capital. It's all artificially inflated, and it's all going to be underwater. And none of us can afford it, okay, who live here. That's the bottom line. I don't want to hear about the real estate market. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, the lights are off, but everybody's home. Well, nobody's living in, in half of these condos. Get out of here with this. Like, I don't, what, what are we going to... We're telling each other that everything's okay. Get out of here. Like, I, that's not how you... Miami is is pretty broken. It's damaged, if not broken. And you don't fix it by going like top 10 list of the best uh, dim sum. First of all, I wish there was 10 good dim sum restaurants in Miami. There are not. I don't think there are three good dim sum restaurants in Miami. But anyway, there's a lot that I love. I'll tell you one thing. I'm a causeway kid. That's like bridge and tunnel in New York. Okay. I don't live in Miami beach, but I work. Our office has been here forever. Mm -hmm. So I commute every day. I come from the mainland. I hit the causeway and I drive to Miami beach okay. and I'll be damned if that view does not take my breath away twice a day mm-hmm. on my way to work and on my way home. You just can't even fathom that there are people who live in landlocked That's why Orlando doesn't make any sense. Who lives in a peninsula an hour away from the beach? That makes zero. Is that only uncle Walt? Would have thought of, would have right. thought of something right. like that, That's you know. It yeah, it was. They gave up. Are you kidding? They let him create his own government, and his own city there because they're like, he wants this bullshit land. Right. It's worthless in the middle right. of a peninsula. <laughs> Everybody settles on the coast. Right. That's how humanity works. That's how trade works. That's how resources work. But like, i so, I mean, that for one. I mean, there's a, there's a damn. I mean, we're freezing today. It's like sixty. Right. It's like sixty-eight yeah. degrees outside, and we're like we're pulling out the winter gear. You got the parka on. You know, every listen, we never get to wear our leather jackets. We all have a leather jacket, we never get to right. wear it. The boots. Right, the boots, of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. So it's like we all we all look like we're in Sundance right now, <laughs> in right, you know, fucking Park City. But like, but like, so there's there's really good. I mean, those are two good reasons right there. You know, this I, I think what I always say it's like if you want to ruin anything in Miami, just add people. You know how like you go, you're like your favorite, like this new bar open, it's real chill, it's quiet, like it's, it, like she and drinks, everybody, is everybody I go in there, and then all of a sudden people start hearing about it, right? So what's, okay. And you show up one day and you're like, this place sucks, why? Because there's people in it.
1: <laughs> okay, so can you give us, like, what's your favorite bar? I First of all, you told us offline that you love Sanders
0: and Shannon Forrest. Who doesn't love Santa's Enchanted Forest? Communists don't love Santa's Enchanted Forest. Okay. That's you. No, it's, I love it. It's, it's just a Miami tradition. It's just a funny th- That jingle. Come on, sing it. Santa. I can't. Santa's, Santa's Enchanted Forest. Come <laughs> to see the lights at the morning. Come on. Like, it's a tradition. It's a tradition. Like, you just, you got to love it. you got to love it in all its sleazy Santa glory. Yeah. I mean, you know. You have to get your, what is it? The funnel cake. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, I this have the, it's the a food tour. It's a culinary tour right. for me. I have the food part. Oh, yeah. That's they got right. these great fajitas here. They got the, the sausage. They got, uh, the mini, um, uh, cinnamon donuts. Then you got to do the carny food. You know, okay. the, you got to do the, 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 cotton candy, the candy apples. They have Granny Smith, uh, candy apples. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm You're all about it. Very detailed that.
1: in the
0: ingredients. Well, oh, we used to, when I was a kid, we had a, the whole Santa's trip. Was mapped around the food. When we need breaks, so we could ride the ride, because you don't want to get right. sick on the rides and right. all that food. So, so you gotta like plan. We would strategically plan because the 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 same vendors were always in the same spot year so after you year. Would
1: map this out prior. You
0: know, right? What you do down the main lane going in, you know what you would get on the way out. Then you know what you'd hit in the uh, in the sort of like the the main sort of arcade areas, and and you know, yeah, There was a it was a real strategy. But then you gotta know what days to like. You don't go on. Friday, Saturday. Yeah, you go like on a Wednesday
1: or
0: a Tuesday. is right. crowded. And where you go before winter break or after winter break because remember it's open like before Thanksgiving and then it's open after the New Year. So you want to wait for the kids to go back to school so there's no winter break and the season passes or a turnout oh, so is talking low. About
1: as an adult,
0: I'm talking about strategy. Like right, I'm saying, not talking about strategy. A
1: strategic. Okay. Yes. Okay.
0: Talking <laughs> okay. about you got to know how to do Santa's Enchanted Forest is what I'm saying, and it's a blast. It's fun. It's just. Fun. I
1: haven't been in years, but I'll go back.
0: It's fun. You're it's gonna great. hate it and be like, what then? The hell like, is what this idiot thinking, talking right, about that's you're gonna, you're gonna...
1: <laughs> okay now I'm like somewhat stepping back now because I really want to know how you jumped from okay what was it it's called raw the
0: raw deal of question of raw deal of... have you seen it I have not I'll that's give you like... a dvd you know what a dvd is Feel no, like there, young, people, still, young people still, like yeah. you oh is there really you have oh yeah I, young people like you, I, you never I, heard of that
1: yes yeah, so I'll, I'll I'll use the dvd but okay for someone who is listening and they're like billy is super cool like i want to be like bill
0: nobody's right
1: they're thinking this what i mean because it just seems like you don't just up and go to new world then you go to gamesville for a couple of months uh get all these accolades how did you get to where you are now i know that's such a broad question but like your stories are amazing and we keep going on these different cool tangents but like what what advice would you give someone particularly now when they have we were talking about social media you can there's everything from obviously old school YouTube to now even IGTV. The barriers of entry are a lot lower now for you to have a platform or an audience. So, what would you tell a uh, I don't know a 17 year old
0: Billy in the making? Stay in school.
1: <laughs> what?
0: Okay. I mean, I would. I would say they have a lot of a lot more opportunities than we than we ever had as kids. Like it was tough to. You know, in terms of access to equipment or, you know, just cameras and the ability to do post-production, the ability to to distribute, to get an audience. Like, now, the kids have the most powerful tool mm-hmm. in the history of the world in their pockets. Um, you know, and with great power comes great, great responsibility. Yeah. But they have the ability to shoot with the best camera I could have ever dreamed of having when we were kids they can edit they can publish internationally mm-hmm. worldwide from these mobile devices which is kind of petrifying but very empowering and i think that we've you know i think that it has led to some uh, significant damage <laughs> this presidency being no small part of it but i think it's it's also contributed to uh, the potential for great great justice and to illuminate injustice i think a black lives matter uh, movement is owes a lot to this technology mm-hmm. and the ubiquity of cameras—not just cell phone cameras, but body cameras and surveillance cameras and 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 uh, you know dash cams—and the ubiquity of this of 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 cameras have, have, has had its. You know, we've certainly lost some privacy, um, but at the same time, it is illuminated. We have we have seen violence, and we have seen injustice in a way that we would never get never have the opportunity to. And and it makes it impossible to dismiss. Where whereas like, you know the we you know we could have said before? That's, that's your true. That's your truth. Right, I was gonna say that's your truth. That's your truth. My yes, experience right. with the police as a white man in America has been been delightful. Right. That's your truth. Right. That no, it's the truth. And that's what video has helped illuminate. And and when I talk to kids, particularly elementary school kids. Most of them, not all of them, have cell phones. I don't care how much money their parents make or what. The, I mean, like everybody seems to have right. this technology. Oh, yeah. It's really remarkable. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I just try to distill them. Like, you are now a filmmaker. You are now a journalist. You are now a documentarian. Um, and you, and you, what you do is, is, is you, you know, you, you, you. you Write what you know, is what they say. So you film what you know, and you tell the stories that you know. You tell the stories around you in your world. You tell the stories of your friends. You tell the stories of your family. Access is very important. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I would say, you know, our job as filmmakers is to find a good story and don't fuck it up. Or the PG version is find a good story and tell it well. You know, and that's true predominantly, I say, of... of, of nonfiction filmmakers and journalists Mm -hmm. but it's also true of you know we want to find a good script and then not fuck it up you know uh in in dramatic filmmaking or or storytelling but like so and then i say how you do that that's easier said than done you know find a good story and 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 tell it well so i apply this this process it's not foolproof but it is idiot proof i call it r a s and that stands for relevance access style so relevance Okay, I got this idea for a documentary. Right, everybody comes up to Billy. I've got the idea for the greatest, uh, the greatest idea, the greatest documentary ever made. Okay, what is it? (laughs) Question one is R, relevance. Mm -hmm. Who gives a shit? If documentaries are tend to be an extraordinary uh, amount of work, a lot of dedication of you know. Uh, blood, sweat, tears, sweat, equity, mm-hmm. somebody's money, maybe yeah. yours, maybe somebody else's either way it's it's a real investment mm-hmm. um, it can take years sometimes to make a documentary usually minimum one year to make a documentary, but that's one year of your life on this earth, which is limited you know that either you know so in order to say, am I going to dedicate my time, energy, and resources to this? relevant is there going to be an audience at the end of this is somebody going to care about this enough to want to watch it some artists do things for themselves and tell stories for themselves that's all well and good i don't i don't prescribe to that uh philosophy i make stuff so hopefully knock wood people will watch it mm-hmm. so i say is it now it doesn't have to be the math for the masses it could be, you know, niche makes you rich, as they say. It okay. could be a limited audience, but at least there, you go into it knowing, knowing there's that somebody. There, there's somebody yeah. to watch who will be right. interested in watching this story if I do it right. Right. Relevance yeah. and topical is different from relevance. So don't tell me like, oh, it's in the headlines. It's re-, it's like, but people might get enough of that shit on the news. They might not want to pay or, it's all or spend it, and they don't want to hear. It. Right. Yeah. You know, Black Lives Matter is a good. Is a good. You know, we have a story about uh, 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 a documentary that we're working on about a a, uh, a young man, who a uh, Colombian immigrant, mm-hmm. who was tasered to death by Miami Beach police back in August of 2013. A uh, documentary we've been working on. Very powerful stuff. Really beautiful. Mm-hmm. His life is a really beautiful story. Obviously, his death is extraordinarily tragic and a massive injustice in the city of Miami Beach and Miami-Dade County. It's sad. Do, at the end of your day, you want to come home from a day of you know, being battered left and right on social media and by the news with all the horrible shit that's going on in the world, your own problems at work and, mm-hmm. and in your life. You want to Netflix and chill. Right. Do you want to watch a documentary about that? It's tough. Like, Listen, I got a cue
1: mm-hmm.
0: of documentaries that I, quote, must watch, end quote, that i haven't gotten to yet because i just it's haven't depressing. been in the mood right yeah. i haven't I been put, i mean like put, i don't want to be in that I'm headspace perfect. right you're like i'm in a good place now right. or i want to put myself in, in a good pla- place let me watch i need to watch some dumb shit right now let me I, watch some dumb I, I, shit i don't want to think i don't want right. to feel that sort of I, right i don't want to. I, I won't be able to sleep i'm like i don't want to go to bed angry right. i don't want to step i get that way i really internalize mm-hmm. this shit and i and it makes me really i can't lie in bed and go through twitter I'll be up all night, not going through Twitter, but thinking about all the horrible shit I read on Twitter. So, like, it's it. I internalize it. I get really anxious about it. I can't like so. So every once in a while, I got to step back, you know. So that's an interesting thing. Like, you have to tell you know the stories that you want to tell that relate to you, but you have to know, am I going to get so that? But but there's a way. There's a kind of not a way around that, but a way to sort of uh, uh, seize that. So the second thing A is access. So we have relevance, access. Uh, access is you know the saying it's not what you know
1: who, yeah. it's
0: who you know so access to what you name it mm-hmm. access to equipment access to money access to talent you know maybe you need a shooter to film for you you need access to you know locations access to depending on what you're doing costumes, a script, access to the people you need to interview movie stars to be in your movie access you name it you like access okay, okay? It's secret to life you know <laughs> and then style um, it's not what you say but it's how you say it. And so how are you as a storyteller, as a filmmaker, going to apply some sort of, how are you going to tell this story in an inventive, exciting, entertaining way? That is, that's kind of what I was saying, the workaround a little bit or the finesse you can get into when you're dealing with a tragic situation, you're dealing with something that could be, that could come off as, um, as as like an educational video or something a little bit too much. You can work to make it a little more entertaining. You could work you could finesse it to, to make it a little bit more you know, we call our genre pop docs. Um okay. that's what we call so our genre. So
1: your your brand doesn't seem very depressed. So you are yeah. gonna go through with you finished this documentary? No, we're working. You're working it. It. Yeah, yeah, On yeah it.
0: we're working. So, we're in the middle of it. Okay. Yeah. And so part of the challenge has been talking about how to make like uh, it's real easy to examine his death mm-hmm. and turn it into a procedural about how the wheels of injustice Start turning Mm -hmm. in police departments in state attorneys' offices. It's real, you know. That's easy to do, Mm -hmm. and we're going to do it. Make no mistake. But what's a little bit more challenging is to how to celebrate the life of an 18-year-old artist who lived a very short time but contributed a lot to the people that he knew and that he touched, Mm -hmm. and through his art, through his personality. So that. Uh, that's part of the the things, but not in a sad way. In a celebration of his life and his art. So really, to me, it's a story about an artist and a young. Man, a kid Mm -hmm. who made an extraordinary impression in the very short amount of time that he was here. And we're gonna try some I'm gonna try some different techniques and some animations and things and some recrees that we've never really done in this way before to kind of turn it into there's a love story there too. It might be a tragic love story, but for, for you know, the first half, let's say, let's even though you know what's gonna happen, let's let's try to celebrate his life and his art. Uh, and his family and his friends who he touched in a way that makes you feel... feel not, not as... Not as, as not as, 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 good a, as you can. As you under as as a, right, center. so yeah. and turn it into a, a sort of beautiful uh, piece of entertainment that celebrates his life and isn't just one of these heavy kind of explorations of, of, of injustice. You know, like, almost, to, for, for it to be almost about his death secondary. That's the challenge. That's,
1: it's a challenge, yeah.
0: So, always, but it's the, worth doing.
1: Have, do you have to get permission from... People's families, or as a with documentaries, you can just do whatever. I mean, I you know,
0: think whatever. I think it, it depends on 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 the the, the, the of people, okay. on the nature of the story. Okay. Um, does it involve public figures or people who were public figures? Um, is there a, a glut of material available mm-hmm. uh, through public records? And okay. you know, okay. were, were these kind of celebrated or high profile cases? There, there's a lot of. I mean, a lot of this material belongs to the world. It's just a matter of okay. who's going to reach out and grab it and how are you going to tell it. Yeah, so, but a lot of it's, uh, you know, not everything, but a lot of it's free and clear and the case is something like this. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would have done it without the, mm-hmm. the blessing or yeah. participation yeah. of his sister of his parents of mm-hmm. his friends like you know i wouldn't have done that in this case it just wouldn't mm-hmm. have it wouldn't have sat right number one and number two you can't really tell it you know the emotional connection uh to the to the
1: without to connect with the
0: audience right you need them yeah you just need them so i wouldn't have done it without that particular okay. story i wouldn't have done it without them
1: some of the others well, sorry. it just seems like, which I think is absolutely hilarious. What? For example, the screwball.
0: Yeah, the screwball. I mean, <laughs>
1: it's all right. The film. Yes. It's sorry. Screwball. Sorry. That was something you were able to do without the subject.
0: Well, no, we have Wait, most. Of, we have we have right? the, we have the two primary subjects. And remember, it's not about a rod. A rod was certainly the most high profile oh, okay, client okay, of okay, this okay, guy. Okay, but okay. it's really about the doc. This 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 fake doctor and his. His client, okay. who wound up being the whistleblower, who took the records to the Miami to Tim Frank at the Miami New Times, who who put the you know who, who put Got the whole it. thing okay. on blast. But ultimately, A. Rod is a supporting character in their story.
1: He just has he's high profile, so it's easy he, he to was obviously okay. he was the highest paid
0: baseball player in history. It it effectively ended his career. this mm-hmm. scandal. He's also he's only in as much of it as he is of Screwball, which is not a lot. But he's only in as much of it as he is because um. He fought his suspension. All the other players oh, basically, okay, like, kind right, of, okay, eventually, right. eventually took their lumps. You know, some of them pushed back, but like, eventually, just said, "All right, I'm not appealing it's this." Damaging to, yeah. So A Rod is the one who like dragged it out by appealing it, and then like the whole ugly truth had to come out. Like, so he it only lasted, or he was only as big of a figure in the scandal as he was because he dragged the damn thing out. Yeah, it was his due process rights under right. the CBA, you know, the, mm-hmm. the the contract between you know the players' union and, and the league but he chose to exercise those rights and uh, under false pretenses as well he did not have a legitimate defense he was guilty as the day is long so so you know so, so basically he didn't really have a, a pot to piss in or a leg to stand in the, uh, on there but like um but he is very much a supporting player in that story okay. and he is very much i don't think anyone will will argue a public figure arguably one of the most famous people in the world. So that being said, he is fair game. Um, We are not malicious. This is, even though it's a comedy, Mm -hmm. hence the title Screwball, it's kind of a, it's like a Coen Brothers, like, heist movie gone awry. You know, with like, (laughs) these just like, with Jesus, Keystone criminals, you know, bumbling and fumbling around, MLB investigators, it's really it's like a, right. it's like a Carl hyacin or Elmore Leonard novel, it's just okay. like, it's Florida fuckery is what it is, <laughs> it's an only in Miami kind of sordid tale, you know and so, to that end he is very much a Florida man, uh, Aaron or a right. Miami man, you know, and, and so he's got shady, you know, it's like a sunny, said, place was not, it was sunny place for, for shady people. people, like that's who you surround yourself with if you if you spend your, your childhood as, as Alex did uh, in Miami, but you know, so it's that kind of story, uh, but despite that it is, I will tell you, mm-hmm. in the experience we've just had with it, we've just had with it as a company, Alfred Spellman, David Sipkin, my producing partners at Rack and Tour, the most meticulously researched and fact checked documentary we have ever made. We're meticulous about all of them, mm-hmm. but this was. It's one that you look at it and you're like, okay, this is all crazy bullshit. Like, it's funny. It's just, it's satire. It's really back it, it up. It is meticulous okay. and fortunately when we premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival that was our world premiere uh, some of the critics noticed I noticed in some of the reviews they're like they're like don't let it fool you don't get it twisted the movie's funny and entertaining but it is Highly meticulous okay. and it is it, and whether it's in the documentary cuz we'll sometimes show you a funny scene and then boom there's the document that proves it um we'll show you okay. a scene and then we're incorporating into that scene that we're recreating all funny actual photographs and you'll see, oh shit, not only is this real, but it's so meticulously recreated right. that like the photographs look like they're, like they're part of the. Of the stuff that we recreated. So it is, and we were, because, because we were doing it in that tongue-in-cheek way, mm-hmm. we're like, we better get this way back perfect. This. And we've heard from people mm-hmm. who we didn't interview in the movie, who we interviewed off camera, off the record, so to speak, who only confirmed, this is both before we shot it, during we shot it, na- while we shot it, and mm-hmm. after we shot it, who have only confirmed that virtually every line in this doc is, is a le- fact, is legit, what was was it's contained under oath in some court document or, you know, it, it, this was just, we worked our asses off on this one. I think it shows, I think it's, I think it's our best work just wow. in terms yeah. of the quality and, 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 and the depth the, of know, research. Yeah. The, I, 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 I'm, so I'm like really that happy. It takes, with it.
1: Like you said, a minimum of one year to produce these things, the level of, of research and.
0: Yeah. And then it, you're, you the know, the lawyers get to but, it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so say, like, do you yeah.
1: have like, a, I guess a really strong, but, you're so meticulous in your work yeah. that it's kind of hard to go after for, I guess, defamation or yeah, something, right?
0: And the way I'd say we're, we're getting better at it, so we've always been meticulous, but the way you get better at it is that, you know, we, worked with, we work with Michael Donaldson's firm, who is a First Amendment fair use? He, he is an attorney who has built his practice around documentary filmmakers. Oh, since nice. since so the you're, explosion, you're yeah, since the explosion now, uh, this sort of modern golden age of of documentary filmmaking. He literally wrote the book. You can download it in PDF. Wrote the book on best practices for documentary filmmakers dealing okay. in fair use, dealing in you know in 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 in, in any any sort of uh, actions that people might want to take against you that deals with music, that deals with footage, that deals with people's likenesses. People, you know, defamation issue. Like they, they are meticulous. So, in since we started working with them, which has been for a lot of years now, we get better at it. Okay. Meaning, we can kind of we we watch stuff the way we know that they watch stuff, and so we're like, oh, you know what they're going to say about right. this? So not even you know, waste start time going on this. right? They're like, right. let's just be careful about okay. it. yeah. So we're a little more set, and then we'll go back and forth with them, and they'll say, listen, you got to cut this down, you got to cut this out. What is, they'll have questions: Do you can you back this up? Can okay. you back, you know? And and to that end, I believe Screwball was one of their... I can't speak for them but one of their less complicated right, reviews because like, okay. we were already so sensitive to it uh, that we that we tried to, to do it as best as we could and they were just like you know they're like obviously they had their con. it was a very mm-hmm. thorough review but it, I felt like we didn't get as many notes from them as we it normally do yeah yeah. yeah yeah it was, it was, it was yeah because we were really and a lot of their questions we were able to be like oh here's this yeah, document no, okay. here's this transcript here's the, and, and yet the other thing too is that one of the things we really go for is you, you go and it's tough because um In federal cases, there's like pre-sentencing reports Mm -hmm. and they are confidential uh, because oftentimes they will contain uh, medical history and information that it's just not a part of the public record in a case, even though it's a court case. Mm -hmm. So this is someone who's been convicted or has pled guilty. Mm -hmm. And now this is a thorough report that the I think it's like, you know, the federal like it's not the uh, the B.O.P. But it's like the probation, the federal probation people put together, and like okay. they make certain recommendations about, like based on a medical history, maybe they need to be in a facility with a stronger medical wing or whatever it may be. So they 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 do this whole. But it also contains all the quote unquote facts of the case, and what facts mean is that they were allocuted to, they were admitted to, they were found to be facts by okay. a jury or a judge. So if, if that gives you, it's you can't always get them, but. That's something you want to kind of go, because that is like, if we, if this is in the piece, we, I mean, we got the facts, right? We got the facts. Right. So, and then you look for transcripts everywhere you can. For example, I I don't know where we got them. And if I remember, I can't, I won't tell you (laughs) where we got them, but I don't actually remember. But we got a hold of transcripts from the Major League Baseball's arbitration with Alex. And people this were under oath, and people, were, yeah, and we and and we would go through and like, and and if there was things, and that's how we could check the veracity of the claims that our interview subjects were making. Our interview subjects provided us with text messages and emails, and for some some of them we use, some of them we don't. But more to the point, it was so that they could prove to us, okay, provide corroborating evidence essentially that what they were telling us in their interview was true, or else we right, wouldn't put it in the documentary.
1: Stick, you stick your neck out there and lose yeah. your
0: credibility as a now. Listen, there's still some stories that they were in a room with one other person. And so there's the only... Right. But even even in some of those cases, we actually would go out and say... I'll give you a perfect example. Tony Bosch, who is the fake doctor in the story. He hates when he him that. Tony Bosch, (laughs) the the unlicensed physician. Okay, I rather think. Uh, One of his clients was Manny Ramirez. Dodgers slugger Manny Ramirez. And so... He was his first VIP client. You would go on the road with him. He would be in a suite. Next, sometimes he said he would share a suite with him.
1: You had that in the... Not the pilot, in the... Uh... The
0: clip? The clip. But I, I think... Oh, there might, there the, might have the been. They, they mentioned so him. Yes, they did. But okay. you didn't see baby Manny. There's a baby oh, Manny as I well just before that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You saw him. Yeah, they mentioned okay. Manny okay. in the context of A-Rod. Yeah. And so, because Manny was his first... Before A-Rod, <laughs> Manny was his biggest client. Mm-hmm. And so, Manny totally tells a story that Manny... Um, I uh, didn't like to sleep alone. So, so he'd have he'd have a suite with twin beds, and so oh, okay. Tony would like sleep in the other bed, and would have to talk to him or tell him a bedtime story, is what how Tony described it, in order for for Manny to feel comfortable and, and fall asleep. And so we're like, that's hilarious, but we don't know if that's true. Now, mind you, we would have been comfortable, I think, with it either way, but we weren't. We decided we're gonna go out and try to get, and we started to research. And sure enough, there are other accounts out there in the world Some pretty obscure, like, it wasn't just, like, Google that came up. But there were books where someone was interviewed. And there's a famous saying, Manny being Manny, because he's known to be an eccentric character. Mm -hmm. And this apparently was one of his eccentricities, was that he didn't like to sleep. He couldn't fall asleep if he was by himself in, like, a And it couldn't be, like, a teddy bear. Right. He needed, like... And so, I don't know that the bedtime story thing was necessarily well-known. But it was... The point is, is that some part of that was Verified. And so we felt comfortable. That's the thing is that we, you know, and we're also dealing in this in this project with with not only high profile but very wealthy and litigious people in in Major League Baseball and A Rod and these guys. Society
1: is so litigious now. Of course, yeah.
0: So we just want to be. We wanted to be careful. Wanted
1: I wanted to be accurate. And, yeah.
0: and we didn't want people to just dismiss this as some goofy cat uh, comedy or work of satire. It is, by the way. <laughs> a goofy comedy or work of satire. But, like, its it, is, it, it very, all happened. As tourist. we... As yeah. as our... As it all happened as far as we were able to verify and as far as our interview subjects told us. Okay. <laughs> wait.
1: I just want... Wait, wait. I may have to charge this, but I'm Yes, yeah, right. So, Billy, you've talked about some of the individual challenges and the work that goes into producing one of your works. But can you just share, everyone always sees the highlight reel, no pun intended, of your life and your works. But what are some of the challenges that you would feel comfortable sharing that people may not know that you have to overcome besides the backlash from some of your extremely candid uh, thoughts on social media? But like, what things have you gone through and here you are still shining with tons on the horizon i want to hear about what's coming up next
0: that it feels terribly what's the term um not uncouth it it it, it feels like (laughs) really selfish no it's a better word i'm just not thinking of it but like like for me to like complain about challenges mm-hmm. um i haven't like like globally speaking i haven't really known a lot of a lot of what i would characterize as challenges um knowing 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 what i've, I've grown to learn about about the world you know and life and 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 becoming just, i think surprisingly more empathetic in my old age rather than the other way i feel people get more stuck in their in their ways and kind of dig in and and protect their own and and i I, the opposite has been true for me i think it's also a product of 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 being in miami in a way you 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 get to know a lot of different people Mm -hmm. from all over the world with a lot of very unique experiences very different from your own i always I mean i said it Earlier, I won the genetic lottery, Mm -hmm. being born a white man in America. Let's just be perfectly honest about this. You don't get to pick your parents. I mean, you one day you open your eyes in this world, you look around, you got to take stock, and you got to play the hand you're dealt. You know, some people can overcome certain adversity, some people can't. But that's that's what it is. You know, I, 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 and so, like, I, I, I'm, I'm remiss to say that there are, yeah, there are challenges. You know driving to work every day in this town man you know i mean you know so um and and you know as successful as i feel like we've, we've been in our careers um you know, we don't always get to make whatever we want to make. You know, we don't just get shit greenlit or financed. You know, we we got to go out in the world like everybody else does and pound the pavement and, and peddle our wares and do the song and dance and the dog and pony show and, and, and try to convince people that, that, that this is something that people want to see, that they should finance. But so, like, we have this, you know, we, we got to pitch like everybody else does. We got to mm-hmm. sing for our supper. But, like, how is that something to complain about? I make a living. I make a living doing something that I love to do in America in 2019. Hashtag blessed. You know, I mean, what what do I have to complain about? What challenges do I have? I got to make this movie instead of that movie this year. I'll make that movie next. And like, seriously, it, it feels very petty. Uh, to, I mean, like, yeah, I, I I just it just and and you get enough of my pettiness on Twitter when I bitch about. I'm still Everyone I'm still I what? I ordered lunch from delivery dudes on December what twenty second. What day is it now? I'm still waiting for that shit to be right. delivered. What? I'm still waiting. What?
1: Wait, what restaurant? Uh, maybe you don't want to even talk about.
0: Oh, it. To the restaurant. I love the restaurant. It's not their fault. Go-go. Go-go. Uh, go-go Lucky. It's this oh, empanada place on okay. all the road. It's delicious. Okay. And when I get my goat, when I'm like itching for some go-go Lucky, I need to get my go-go Lucky on. And because so you still, you still I still so, a, so they don't do their own in-house delivery. It's all an outside service. So I hire we we, we call delivery or order online from delivery dudes. So we are still that's waiting. That's Billy's challenge. We're still waiting. And I'm being getting my empanadas. Right. So but you're, this you're, you're, you're Miami problems, problems right? right? I can't get my empanadas. Right, that's because of Miami. Because
1: of right. I know I'm skipping all over the place. How did that start? Because Florida. Because Florida.
0: Yeah. You know what? Well, because the Florida man thing. We had been in. We had we were we were early adopters to the whole Florida man genre of. Florida fuckery, you know, news... Stories, you know, and and so I kind of wanted my own thing, you know what I mean, it's, like my own trademark right. kind of, you know, like every Florida man, Florida woman, like that kind of belongs to the world, like because Florida, I just wanted because Miami, but usually because Florida, like I just wanted to have my own you know. thing, and and it just seemed to be, you know, it's kind of right up there, like people say, you know, Florida, go to Florida, you know, like that's, you know, like I, that's, that's like I
1: still think that's why Miami's the yeah. little state.
0: Yeah, I remember. I, I just the other day, I I, I was actually I was DMing with, uh, with with Jamel Hill, and 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 I sent her this ridiculous. The story about the Florida Secretary of State that new Governor uh, Ron DeSantis had just oh. uh, just appointed, who the had blackface. dressed in blackface at a 2005 Halloween party, and you're like, and how could that get any worse? It's like, well, he was also he was in dragon in blackface. Like, how could that get any worse? On he was 2005, and on his shirt was written what Katrina victim. Right. So it's like it's like oh this is like the, can't the, worse, like yeah. he just he found a way to make this all worse. And if you were just like if you were if you were feeling extra forgiving that day and be like, Okay, well and you're like, Wait what? Okay, right. well Wait what? what? You're like, Okay, three That's strikes, right. you're out. You know, That's so this, this, is T-ball. this is already a one strike you're out deal, but now you've managed to somehow take it two steps too far. But like so and and her reply to me was, Florida gonna Florida. Right. That's it, you know, like so it was kind of that because Florida is just like and it just kinda of says everything you need to know about it. Everybody, that's an international, right. Kind of a language. Yeah. I guess.
1: It's, it's <laughs> it's like, so, Billy, would you ever t- run for office?
0: No, never. Absolutely I, I not. I
1: figured you would say that, but I just
0: okay. No, well, and, and and it's not even never say never. It's absolutely not. I would never subject Your my family, family or friends to that. I, right. I I'm 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 I suspect that most people who run for office at this point in this day and age are sociopaths. Uh, narcissists. There's some sort of break with, with reality. Um, they're put, they put their own ambition ahead of their families. I'm not saying that's everyone, but it, it's starting to feel more and more like it, and that's an unfortunate situation, and by the way, some politicians blame people like me because they say when you just talk shit about all the politicians, then good people don't, don't want to run, run for office because then they're going to have to handle the scrutiny. I'm like, if you don't want to handle the scrutiny, then do right. Then... Then do right or don't do it, okay? Like if you can't handle the heat, if you're gonna have thin skin, Ken Russell, I'm sorry. If you're gonna have thin skin, Francis Suarez, I'm sorry. If you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna have thin skin, then you're in the wrong. You're in the wrong game. And if you know you're doing the right thing, then you ain't got to worry about little old me. Am I right? So if you know you're doing the right thing, you can go to you can go home and sleep at night. You don't have to worry about. Me shit tweeting or whatever, you know, or, you know, you don't have to worry about me trolling or whatever you want to call it. Okay. You don't have to worry about me, right? They worry about me because they're not doing the right thing. And I call them out for it. They're worried about it because they know they're screwing up. They know they're crooked. They know they're inept. They know, uh, they're incompetent. And what they don't want is accountability or transparency and you know sunny place for shady people uh, government in the sunshine is what it's supposed to be but we got government in the shade and that is a problem and i'm going to call it how i seize it and yeah, i think
1: involved, and he's through the whole shade tree and i think
0: i'm i'm a pretty equal opportunity offender i remember one one day someone <laughs> called me like you're just attacking Kristen Rosen-Gonzalez, because she's a woman. I'm like, no, I'm attacking Kristen Rosen-Gonzalez. First of all, I'm not attacking her. I'm speaking truth to power. She is in a position of power. She's an elected commissioner in the city of Miami Beach. She was running for for Congress. I was like, I'm not attacking her. I'm calling her out, not because she is a woman, but because she is bad at what she does. Straight up, that's it, okay? That's like saying I'm attacking, uh, or I'm going after Mayor Levine because he's Jewish. You know, I'm going after Mike Rico because he's a man. I'm going after Keon Hardeman because he's black. I'm going after Joe Carollo because he's Cuban or Francis Suarez because he's Cuban or or uh, Ken Russell because he's Japanese-American. It's like, okay, so I just hate everybody? It's like, no. I. But, like, when you're in power, I don't care. What, you know who you are, where you come from. I got to tell you, I, I get a little, just personally, a little more frustrated when I see people in the minority communities being taken advantage of, because they're already an underserved and underrepresented uh, right. population. And so when I see their representatives taking advantage, I'm like, well, that's that much less representation. than you know, I'm, I'm talking to you, Oliver Gilbert, in Miami Gardens. You know, that's you know, I'm 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 talking to you, Keon Hardman, in, in in city of Miami. You know, I mean, like uh, but because because you already have a population that especially in this community, Miami's a unique community uh, for African-Americans by unique. I mean, even shittier than normal. And the reason being is that it's a great American tradition to treat African-Americans like second class mm-hmm. citizens. But you come to Miami and we got the majority. We got the Cuban majority who have come in. To their credit, built a city within a city. They are all they are the power base, right. you know, the the, the Cuban American community, and, more, and 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 props to them. I don't knock their hustle. But what has happened as a result is that you have the Cuban community, the Anglo community. I think we're the only place that Wait, calls our white community Anglo, right? We're and, a minority, right? And then what happens? <laughs> yes, we are the one, and but then that pushes the African the African Americans become third class citizens in that equation, and then Haitians become. Oh my god, nobody nobody looks after the Haitian uh community here. I mean, that's just that's just a tragedy. And they contribute so much to this community with z- virtually zero representation, zero voice in our process. And so when you see that, you want somebody to stand up and someone to effectively represent uh those communities and and you know.
1: That's been my frustration. Like you said though. I'm not 100% happy with the local state or national representation. But you like You're you on a
0: tightrope here. You are.
1: <laughs> you are.
0: However, but this is but the most you're, diplomatic language I've ever heard. Go but ahead.
1: you're right. It's like, can I say this? We need, if we want new representation, but we already know how hostile the environment, not because of Billy's. I think In part. Are, not really. Like you said, I mean, you need thick skin. If you're going to put yourself out there, like, I mean, people can say whatever they want to say, especially when it's not baseless but how do you what would you suggest to try to just shift the entire
0: let's just since we're my i didn't say it. it spike lee said it do the right thing That's do okay. the right thing it's I, not that hard do the right thing
1: the thing is i sometimes find myself complaining which i hate to be a complainer i'm more of an actionable type of person I might be constructive to, you know, offer
0: like, solutions like, what or,
1: can i do yeah. besides criticize the people downtown <laughs> and try to get Fresh blood in, but like you said, anyone would be a narcissist to take that sort. I mean, what are we gonna do? Like, just oh yeah, yeah, we're <laughs> fucked.
0: Yeah, we're fucked. I mean, I, I, it's it's and but that's the thing too is that we have these so-called new generations of leadership coming in, and they are profoundly disappointing. Keon Hardiman, Ken Russell, Francis Suarez—these are supposed to be people that are coming in and representing our generation, you know. And and they're they're young men right? essentially, yeah, yeah. you know. Uh, first of all. I'm pretty sure women are about 51% of the city of Miami. There is not a woman on that dais. There's barely a woman in a position of power within City Hall. Barely. I say a woman in power. OK, it, I, I you know what I call Miami City Hall. I call it the Belen East Campus is what I call it. OK, because that's what it looks like. All right. Um, and then and then they do have they have Vicky Mendez, the city attorney who should probably be in jail. OK, she shouldn't be the city attorney. OK, she should probably be in jail. Best thing Ken Russell ever did was try, was try to get rid of was trying to get rid of her. Um, so that's who we have in city government like we you know it's not just that we need women we need good women we not just right. we need men we need, we'll or, or african americans or we, need good, we need good people good people who are going to do the right thing regardless of their gender or their or their race or whatever and that is a real challenge and i i got to tell you i don't know i i pray on i'm not a praying man and i pray, right. on, this pray on this often and
1: it's beyond just good i it's we need uh Visionaries, I think we 're lacking at the county and the city level yeah there's because no like, yeah. there 's no vision I felt like there 's so much
0: potential in Miami.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's
0: just. No, no, they're good. These guys are just living high rise to high rise, you know, groundbreaking to groundbreaking, selling off our public parks to private interests. Like, these are hustlers. These are straight hustlers. These are con men, you know. And you have to remember, Miami, you know, this is not a factory town. We have no indigenous industry other than Mm -hmm. selling the sunshine. We sell the dream. We rely solely on outside revenue coming in, tourists, flight capital in our real estate. It's a hustle. Mm -hmm. We subsist from hustle. hustle and that's not a real that's a ponzi scheme that's a ponzi scheme if outside revenue stopped coming in what would happen to them? we're not a self-sustaining economy we don't do any we don't well you know as carl hyacinth says we don't produce anything in florida other than oranges and machine guns that's all we make here we sell sunshine we sell the florida dream we sell bullshit that's what we sell here. We sell, we, well, that's, but, but, that, but that's not even our product. That's, that's important. We import that, right? Yeah, we're, like, right. we're only on a wholesale retail level there. We're not even on a manufacturing level here on cocaine. You know, so, so, so that's what I'm saying. Well, like, we, you know, what did that stop coming in? That could crater a the, the whole sector you, of the economy. Right. Yeah. You can't just sit around. And right. Move. So what I'm saying is that's how these politicians exist. They have warped priorities and perverse incentives. They measure progress by the number of construction cranes they can count on the horizon. Okay, By the amount of money that they can give to billionaire developers or sports team owners hmm. okay, to, to ruin our traffic, to ruin our public property, to steal our public property with, with sports stadium hustles. It's, that's, what, that's all we have here. So they don't have – I say they have warp priorities because that's how they measure success. The perverse incentives they have is they're not negotiating with their money. They're negotiating with our money. Okay. And our property, the people's property. And they, they make pretend like it's there. Let me tell you a story about Miami Dade Commissioner Audrey Edmondson. I was waiting for you to exhale. I was. I have a feeling you might not for about forty-five minutes. Let me tell you something about. She was being interviewed a couple of years back. You might remember the scandal, so to speak, about Parcel B reopened. Parcel B is this little lot of land. This not little, but it's a sliver of land between the American Airlines Arena and the Bay. Mm-hmm. And it was part of the nineteen ninety-six-ish referendum on the Miami Heat lease on the uh, the American Airlines Arena. And in that deal, they promised, contractually, since 1996, I graduated from high school, they promised that they would turn Parcel B into a public park, a park for all to enjoy. So... We must have got some wires crossed or something because what they did was they made it a parking lot for their valet parking.
1: Completely it's pretty close.
0: Pretty, and So what happened was is that when shit started to, to heat up a few years back in Bicentennial Park, they were talking about the Cuban Museum. There was a lot of stuff going on. Some activists went back there and they discovered that Parcel B not only was not a developed public park, but there was a chain link fence and a lock on it. And they discovered that Miami Heat had built, put a fence up and put a lock on public property, okay? Built a fence and put their own lock on it and had been using it for free, basically, for their valet parking lot, okay? And here we are, it's still 2019, and spoiler alert, they ain't built the park yet. But a few years ago, when this first broke, Audrey Edmondson, who I believe her district in the county includes that area, was being asked, uh, was being interviewed. And the interviewer brought up Parcel B. And Audrey Edmondson went into this whole thing about Miami Heat. I love I'm a home team girl. I love the home team. I love the Miami Heat. This incidentally are owned by you know, billionaire Nikki Harrison, who uh, whose family owns Carnival Cruise Line and the Miami Heat uh, and is a very big power player in terms of uh, political contributions. Also, to be fair, philanthropy. And uh, we we had them in no small part to thank for the the Adrian Arsht Center, which was originally called the Carnival Carnival, uh, Center, but they were good enough to actually yield to Adrian when she came to bail the place out. Um, And so, you know, shout out to them. The bottom line is they owe us a park and Audrey's take was, Commissioner Edmondson's take was, um, I'm, I love the heat, go heat. I'm a hometown. I always root for the home team. And, okay. And so the reporter asked, well, what about your constituents though? And what, you know, and what they were promised? And Commissioner Edmondson said, well, you know, I hadn't thought about it that way before. And let me tell you what's so compelling about that. I'll let it simmer for a second. Let it settle. Let it it, Is that she had been in government so long and if you have never been to government center or really seen how any of this works, you have no idea. This is a bubble. It's a world within a world. Their world is not their constituents. It's lobbyists and special interests who whine and dine and come to meetings with them. You have to see they're not necessary. Even when they're out and about, they're not really there engaged knowing what you're doing. It's a photo op. So their world is people telling them what to think and how to vote. And those people are giving them money and they're negotiating. It's, it's the donation list. Yeah, like, ne- yeah. Absolutely. And they're negotiating with our money, but they're also getting essentially a kickback through, you know, campaign contributions, through, through gifts, through dinner, through whatever, they- through, through the stature of being able to pose with David Beckham or take selfies with, you know, with D-Wade or whatever it may be. They get, they get their access. It raises their profile. They get money and they give these. People, whatever, whatever they want, these special interests. But her thinking had become so warped that she had, and admitted, had a lack of self awareness to essentially admit that I hadn't thought about had my constituents. About actually come out of well, because what a, what a moment of clarity for her that may have been. I, it would have been for you know what a moment like a, a you know like a Bulworth moment of like. Oh, what have I done with my life? What have I done with my ideals? What have I done with why? Why did I get into this in the first racket yeah. in the first place? Presumably it was to help people. Presumably it was to represent your constituents. But even if, so let's assume that, let me give them the benefit of the okay. doubt. A lot of these, but let's assume it started there. The corrosion, dare I say corruption of the mind and the mentality is such that by the time you're that embedded in the, in the weeds, in the muck, You're not, you're, the first thing, her first thought was to jump to the defense of her billionaire campaign contributor. Not, what about my constituents who, who right, right. that, and then when confronted with a very simple follow-up, yeah, but what about the people who voted for you to be in office? She was like, hmm. How about that? So, to me, and that's not just Commissioner Edmondson. That that anecdote involves her. That is an insight into the mentality of all of these politicians. It is about them, okay? It is about them. There is no I in election, okay? (laughs) There is, but you know. But you know. But like you know. But it's it's. Like, it's, I, sad. I, yeah, it's really, really <laughs> sad. And <laughs> when you say, "Where is the hope? What is the answer? Where are the potential solutions? How can we be constructive about this?" We just need to elect better people. Then it becomes your question: How do you get better people to run? I am now becoming proactive this year. I'm kind of breaking breaking a little bit okay. of news here. I am out in the world looking to, for lack of a better term, recruit better people. To run for office, okay. um, I'm gonna. I think really try it in one, maybe one, maybe two elections this year. Is just kind of a pilot program. See how it goes. Win or lose, I think I'll be. I'll continue I- to be involved or or get more involved. But you know, sort of sort of doing what you need to do to kind of recruit good people. Go out in the community, find those people, find people who hadn't thought about. Right, running okay. before because it's, it's the people who who have thought about it or who have acted on you're it. You're not a narcissist, right? Well, that's what you recruit. The thing is, that, like the people you're know, like the people who actually do it voluntarily are, are the, the folks you want to be scared of. Who you know, basically you know, like this Howard Schultz, okay. this Starbucks uh, putz, You know, like you know, like this guy. You know, so
1: I think we have to clean house. It's hard to attract and recruit when. You
0: have to sit on the deal with like, yeah, not... well, there are, listen, a lot of for, for a lot of these, uh, uh, not a lot, not not enough of them. But for a lot of these offices, state and local, we do have term limits. The so one thing the one thing I agree with Rick Scott on is that there should be term limits in Congress, in the Senate, in mm-hmm. the House. I agree with that. I don't think they should be too short, though, because you do have people who become experts in the government is hard. Governing is hard. Mm-hmm. The logistics of governing are hard. I mean, you can see what Nancy Pelosi is is running circles around this, you know, uh, around this idiot because she knows how government works and he just does it. So, like, when you know how it works. And so there is something to be said for wisdom and experience. Right. And in any other line of work, you would say, oh, I want people who know what they're right. doing. So you can't just recycle People number, in government, right? all right. that. The, then you're going to wind in- up with every time you're going to wind up with novices and people who don't know what the hell That'll is going right. on. Yeah, it will be, it will be a mess. So you got to find a way to to temper that, I think, and to balance that out. Um, cool. I'm excited about you going out. Yeah, yeah. The, I'm, I'm recruiting. Yeah, so so I would like yeah. I said I I would never I would never run. It's not my thing. But I I I'm, I for the first time in the last ten years? Year or year two, oh, I would say two, okay. two year or two, two or three, I have started to more openly endorse. Candidates to, to, to little or no effect, but, right. <laughs> oh, but right. see the
1: last person you endorsed governor, you endorsed for governor. I, I
0: endorsed Andrew Gillum. Uh, I haven't I, seen you
1: endorse any commissioners, county or city. I have. I, well, no. I, I um no.
0: I, I endorsed Eileen Higgins. Oh, and who won. It, yeah, yeah. I endorsed almost entirely, to be fair, Democrats running for House in 2016, uh, 2018, okay. and for uh, both the U.S. House of Representatives and uh, the state of Florida, uh, except for Michael Grieco. I did not endorse Michael Grieco because he's a criminal uh, who lied to everybody and attempted to cover up illegal campaign contributions from a foreign millionaire. So not, a, not MAGA. He's not, he's not MAGA-ing, okay? He's a criminal who should be in prison, but because of the ineffectiveness of our state attorney, he's now in Tallahassee. As, as a state rep and that is that is uh, in the word of hillary clinton deplorable uh he's a democrat but i don't care you're deplorable you're deplorable i don't care i don't, don't discriminate
1: i feel like it's it's the basis
0: yeah. of the person oh yeah i mean like bless his heart he thought like i'm a white man nothing can stop me and uh, he was right as it turns out murica <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Is, is that 280 characters or less can i tweet that Hang on, I'm going to tweet that. But I'm going to add him. In fact, Michael Grico, that criminal, and also state representative, but also a criminal, he, and objectively a criminal. I don't mean like, like, oh, what he did was a crime. I mean like literally illegal against the law, should be in prison, but for the fact that Kathy Fernandez Rundle is either too corrupt or incompetent to do her job effectively. Uh, and as a result, Miami Dade. Ah, uh, county is basically forget sea level rise. We are sinking into the bay under the under the weight of our own public corruption, to tell you the truth. Because we don't have a top cop who takes that that job seriously. Um, you know, she goes after and prosecutes people like uh, former Miami Commissioner Michelle Spence Jones, who she had Kathy Rundle had exculpatory evidence exonerating her of one of the cases, one of the charges, sitting in two file boxes, and still charged her with a crime that she had the evidence and then turned it over to the defense in in discovery and they go wait what about this piece of paper who are like oh my bad drop those charges and then go to trial and other charges for which she's acquitted like that's a legitimate uh public corruption case in this town it's pathetic and kathy fernandez rundle 25 years in office she is the only state attorney the only top prosecutor we have had in this county since janet reno left for the clinton administration century. that's correct And in a quarter century, Kathy Fernandez-Rundle has never charged a police officer for an on-duty killing. Not once. And that's not because it doesn't happen. And that's not because it has happened less. It is actually, despite the fact that crime is down, the incidence of uh, use of force and specifically on-duty killings have proliferated. Uh, in this county. And Kathy Fernandez-Rundle has not done a thing about it. And that basically means impunity. That sends a signal to every police officer that knows that I can get away with murder, potentially. Or literally. And that has created uh, a toxic environment of mistrust, uh, of division, uh, that has threatened the safety of good police officers, that has threatened the safety of innocent people in this community, mm-hmm. that has actually led to legitimate criminals, not just police officers who break law, but legitimate criminals going free when they arrest innocent people People, for example, uh, because of bad police work or corrupt police work, and then what happens? The real, uh, you know, perpetrators of those crimes go free, which means no justice for the families of the victims or the victims themselves. I mean, this is, uh, you know, this is this is a state attorney's office that has catered that is in injustice, and it has done unspeakable damage to, to to this community, and it's distressing because you know. She is the top top. She sets the tone, and the message has been loud and clear that public corruption. If you want to know how it has, why it has thrived uh, and, and blossomed, you've got to look. Police commissioner, uh, police uh, chiefs come and go, mayors come and go, some of them, commissioners come and go. People, come, you know, all things, things change. If you want to know what's wrong with something, you look at the constants. She's been here for 25 years as the top cop. You want to know what's wrong in Miami-Dade County. That's what's wrong. And it, it, I've been saying that for 10 years. It's only recently become popular to say it, I think, in no small part because of the rise of the of of what they call a so-called uh, uh, SJWs, the social justice warriors, uh, as if that's such a bad it's as as such a bad thing to strive or fight for social justice, how that became a derisive term, like civil rights became a derisive right. term, like it's, it's like, black, like saying black Lives yeah. Matter is a is a, a derisive a, a, term. Yeah. It, it's crazy. But, uh, you know, that's that's where we're at in this in, in this. And if you want to know how we can fix it, for starters and, and other communities are doing this now, we can elect a new state attorney. Right.
1: And I was going to say, um, please go and
0: pick. I voted for Rod Vereen. He won't run again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Rod won't run again.
1: Well, it's at, at the commission level. I'm, I'm yeah, really just really right. excited about that.
0: Oh, so. it should be yeah. fun. It yeah. should be fun. We, and we'd like to change the, the makeup of it a little bit. Make it a, make it a little bit more represent representative, representative of, of the community. Right. Just a little bit. Just a little bit.
1: Wow. See, okay. Well, Billy, I'm going to end this on something more lighthearted.
0: No. Oh, God.
1: Because remember we said that, for example, after a long day... We don't want to be thinking about
0: things that are going to be too late. Out I'm going to be all right. night thinking about all this, this crazy shit Wait,
1: before you tell us about your other products that you already told me about. I want to ask you a fun question. Then. Okay.
0: Let's
1: see. Hmm. Okay. If you were given a one minute Super Bowl slot and you couldn't sell it, what would you fill it with?
0: Truth. If there was a one word if this were a one word uh it's, do i get like, 280 characters or how many how many oh, actually okay fine that's yeah um, um no right. I, I i i there's no i mean you saw this year that cbs rejected a medical marijuana ad that was in done in documentary style with uh, a child who suffers from you know dozens if not hundreds of seizures mm-hmm. a day and the only thing that works is uh you right. know is is uh is cannabis and um not smoke smokeable marijuana but the oil and the mm-hmm. you know the other forms um and they rejected it this is a sick child suffering from uh uh seizures mm-hmm. all the time you can imagine the state of these parents um just emotionally and physically and and, and financially and CBS rejected it, you know, so for start, I'd like to start with anything that the network would reject. (laughs) I I would start, I I would start there, but that's the thing is they reject truth. You know, they'll lie to people. About how they should drink lots of beer and eat lots of That's Doritos good. and spoiler alert not good if you want to know why Americans are fatter than ever it's because food is we it's garbage. yeah it's not even food mm-hmm. you know so they'll, they'll fill the airwaves with with, lie, uh, with lies because that pays mm-hmm. um, but yeah I mean if you give me 60 seconds I, I'd tell the truth um, the problem is is that yes my grandfather once told me very philanthropical man it, 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 he said Billy my one of my greatest regrets is that I didn't make more money so that I could give more money away because there are so many important causes that need funding and mm-hmm. attention. And and so I would just have to, I'd have to pick from my, my litany of truth bombs and pick which one to drop on the- I think that you can get this. Yeah, I'd have to pick from my litany of truth bombs and figure out which one to drop on on, on Super Bowl Sunday. No, Black Sunday. No, Black... That, I did not intend that was, you know, the movie Black Sunday, the Thomas Harris oh. book them about them dropping a bomb on the Orange Bowl at the Super Bowl. I, mean, I didn't mean like, that, kind like of, that. I meant a truth bomb. Okay. I meant a truth yes. bomb. Yeah. Clear. But like, you know, but like, for sure, I think that's a great example. The fact that CBS rejected that ad this year. I mean, if you said, I get that time, you be like, Fuck you. This is the anyway. this is the ad that I'm gonna show. I'm gonna I'm gonna specifically go for the one that you now listen, there might be good reasons to reject things for content for you know, like yeah, I I wouldn't put you know, I wouldn't put nudity or drug use or something right. like that on Super Bowl Sunday, but I think that truth needs to be told that there are sick children and that there are I bet they wouldn't have rejected a big pharma ad about some that's crazy that. crazy ass dangerous addictive deadly drug you should put your kids on right you're, yeah. right but here's the only thing that helps this horrifically sick child and we're gonna be like no thanks this- next just I mean so that's what I that, this year that's what I would do okay MAGA Okay, Billy, if people
1: want <laughs> if people want more
0: How could Billy they possibly not? after that? They do not want less. No, they don't want they, less. Like, want this, this man is how exhausting. Can, he is they, exhausted.
1: How can they get some more Billy This company? has
0: been my exhaust Ted talk. That's what the exhaust <laughs> <like Bill> Ted. <Tuff. laughs> no, what did you say? Not Billy, Bill Billy Pulpit. Billy Pulpit. Billy Pulpit. How can
1: they get access to Billy Pulpit?
0: At so Billy Corbin. Uh, that's C O R B E N. I'm not the lead singer of Smashing Pumpkins. I was going He's ask. at Billy.
1: So wait a minute. Your birth name is not Corbin. No,
0: it's Cohen. C O H N. What yeah.
1: happened?
0: The, um, you actually like, added
1: the extra curvature
0: to like what happened? Yeah, we, yeah, we lied. <laughs> so, someone, <laughs> I, someone misspelled it. They saw the H as like a B oh, and then they added an R. That, that out. They, no, no, it's not. not, not at all. No, I mean it's it's Googleable. Okay. Yeah, but like but to be told it's kind of an interesting story that I I don't. No, I don't know if I've ever told it, like, uh, in a public forum, but when I was a child actor, I told you that earlier. You're right. There were some experiences where uh, my agent, my manager at the time, had felt that I was... Pardon me, I was auditioning, and I was kind of coming down to the last two kids. Okay. And I wasn't getting uh, the job, and it would be for, like, Bo Bridge's son or something okay. like that. And when you walk into a room and your name is Billy Cohen it's a very Jewish last name a very Jewish mm-hmm. last name um, there's like history of the Kohain, and there, My, I remember my rabbi when I was being bar mitzvah. went on this whole monologue I was like holy shit rabbi you know <laughs> and I was like, like about the Kohen and there's rules like at your bar mitzvah if there is a Kohain giving an aliyah they must be the first one like it's crazy. There's, like, then, rules about this okay. name, like, so it's, like, there's a lot of history and there's a lot of religiousness, so, so like, and then, you know, so even if you'd go into a room and there'd be Jewish producers and Jewish directors, like, I remember, like, going to a room and somebody, like, oh, Billy Cohen. Now you look at my picture and resume, like, Billy Cohen, nice Jewish boy, they said. Totally harmless, like, not meaning anything by it. I didn't think anything of it until my agent manager said, listen, like, you're not, you're not exactly, like, exactly all-American boy. So you have
1: to water down...
0: Yeah, it was oh. like some Ellis Island shit. Yeah, it was like, it was, yeah, so so it, it, it and and I, like, I remember, I remember sitting Alice. in Ellis Yeah, I mean, I remember sitting in the car with my mom and crying. I was 13 or 14 years old, and my, I was working all the time, so it wasn't like, you were not like, right, you weren't and I was kind of like, and I remember I said to her, I, I, I don't know, I was like, Why? I'm not ashamed of right. who I am, I'm not ashamed of my name. Not ashamed of my grandfather's name. I was named for my great mm-hmm. grandfather. i my I was like, guys, like I'm not, you know, um, and uh, yeah. And so we 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 did it with the idea, but and and it was really at the end of my career because I would have I retired basically, like
1: right, fifteen, because you were two, three
0: years, two years, late, years later. not even, and yeah, two years late. And so like, so ultimately, I didn't book any more gigs. That I with, had with, with, the, with the fake name or oh, whatever. Right. It like, okay. Yeah, and so honestly, at that point, it kind of just stuck as like a professional okay. name. Um, and so I just, I mean, like, it, it, it's it's like now, like, it's weird. It's funny, if I was going to be a director, it's not, not like Steven Spielberg's been slowed down at all. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, like I, I, you no. Know, it's funny is like if I'd just been a director, no one would have cared. You know, <laughs> you know? I, I really thought it was just because
1: you thought you want to add a R in the B was more okay. No, so it has a real legitimate.
0: Yeah, and and then my mom came up with it. It was pretty close. You know what I mean? Okay. And, and people thought I was in LA. I, I did a, a stint on LA Law at the time. People thought it was because of Corbin Burnson. Oh. It wasn't because of that. And it's C O R B E N. Although everybody misspells it with an I. Um, yeah. So it just kind of it just kind of stuck. There's times when I find it a little bit. I guess, annoying now. It's also kind of cool, though, like, I don't know, having an alias. You right, know, like, Madonna's is. not a real name. That's, right. you know, like uh, Charlie Sheen, that's not his real name. Oh, like, what I'm saying is, like, there's a tradition of that in showbiz, of of not only, like, you know, like, it's not RuPaul, that's, that's not, right. you know, it's not her name or his, you know, yeah. like, so, but what I'm saying, like, it's like, so there's a tradition of that, so it's kind of like whatever, but, like, there are times when I'm... I want to go back... Could even go back. It's just like it, it's. It could be
1: like Diddy, P Diddy, with Puff Daddy. Depends on what you. Yeah, want. I get right. your
0: new. Maybe I'll just do Prince. Maybe it will just be a symbol. Right, you can just, I'll just be, be a, I'll have a symbol. Just do a
1: symbol.
0: Name, yeah. I don't know, but but okay. I, it's interesting you asked that, and I, I it was a, it was, it was, and I think it was a sobering moment too, because mm-hmm. uh, I I don't recall ever experiencing any anti-Semitism professionally mm-hmm. or personally or, or otherwise. Um. So like, but it made me aware of it suddenly mm-hmm. now i was just like oh, oh shit you know like
1: a, maybe a this is a
0: thing yeah. yeah and 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 so it was a sobering experience for me it was upsetting it doesn't really upset me anymore sometimes it just annoys me mm-hmm. like i said i got like an alias it's kind of cool right. you know, i get to, so, I get yeah, to I so, know, nobody right, knows who right. Ben Cohen is so if i don't want anybody to know that's who yeah, i am no, yeah no,
1: no. i'll be like I mean.
0: Yeah, and it's funny, like, sometimes people will recognize me, and I'll give my ID or whatever, and they'll look at my license, and they'll look at me, and they'll look at my license, they'll at me, and they'll look, my license, they'll look at me, and they'll be like, are you really Corbin? And I'll be like, are you a process server? And they'll be like, no, and I'm like, then yeah. And, you know, and, and then they'll be like, oh, because the ID is just color or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's, but like, now I just see it as fun. You okay. know what I mean? Like, it, it allows me kind of a, a cool level of anonymity that's if that's if that's if that's, if that comes in handy or whatever. I wouldn't game lie game to either. anybody about I am or I'm not, right. but I mean, it's just sort of like, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's okay. kind of fun having, yeah. Here. I mean, like, you know, yeah, I, I mean, her. yeah, I was going to change she, my name to Flowrider, but that was already taken. Right.
1: That was taken. That was, so you know, I like the quarterback.
0: You're yeah. exactly. <laughs> like my Emmy or something. It could, you mean. You know,
1: 2020.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so
1: anyway, your social media handles are all with your, all uh, that Billy Corbin, um, C-O-R-B-E-N. it's
0: my stage name yeah Yeah. at billy corbin is on insta on facebook on uh twitter which is where i spend most i'm not a big facebook guy i'm I'm more on twitter second on instagram and i'm kind of yeah it's like facebook is the new friendster uh for me
1: i'm like when my parents friends are
0: on facebook yeah i'm not even huge on i'm not not even huge on insta i'm a big twitter
1: fan it's a disease it's a
0: disease
1: you (laughs) have to follow him like it's hilarious it will it will brighten your day or not No, it it's my favorite no okay, I was, uh, Reading the comments are my
0: favorite part. I'll tell you something. True story. We just so we doing this play, uh, Confessions of a Cocaine Cowboy, and we we made an offer to an actor that we were very excited about, but weren't sure if he were, would do it. Fingers crossed. I mean, we were just like praying, fingers crossed. We had a little Santeria ceremony. We <laughs> spilled some. We spilled some chicken blood. I mean, we were really <laughs> praying hard for this. And so, next thing you know, I get this DM mm-hmm. from a woman who follows me on Instagram who's like you just made an offer to my client for your Cocaine cowboy's play I'm so excited I hope he does it I was a varsity cheerleader at the University of Miami from 91 to 95 I think there's like a shot of me in archive footage in the U document and we she and I start going back and forth we're like BFFs now all of a sudden and she's like and then her partner in the agency uh, uh the woman I was uh, talking with was at Sundance. Her partner was in LA handling this negotiation. I went up on the phone with her. She's like, "Is it true that you, you and my partner went to college together?" I'm like, "I'm like, it may, I might, might have been in the cheerleading squad with her." I was like, "I may have been the guy." She landed, on, she jumped onto my shoulders from the top of the pyramid. Where, she's like, "That's not true." I'm like, "No." I'm like, "She's a little before." Him. I'm like, "I'm a little after her time." And we laughed about it. And she goes, "Let me tell you something." She reads and shows me your because Florida and because Miami posts all the time, and she goes, "I didn't put it together that it was you and your." Oh. show. Then when she put, you know, she just knows me as like the because Florida guy, right? And so and so, I don't know that it's true. It's probably not true because obviously it was up to this it was up to this actor whether or not he wanted to do the part but I'm going to say like it's because it's because, of, because Florida yeah it's, it's because, because of the, the that she yeah, and so like now we're like it, it's really funny like she's like I'm coming she's like I'm going to come down to Miami like for the show I'm like come home welcome home like we're all excited like it, and, and and in a funny way it was sort of like social media bringing yeah. strangers together through common experiences and, and whether it was pettiness.
1: and like honestly your petty <laughs> your petty is unifying. I don't care anyone has to say like it's the best I'm, I'm gonna be so sure like my petty is <laughs> yes. unifying that's what <laughs> I mean my, <laughs> my petty is unifying
0: 20 what's the next election cycle? 2020 20, 20, yeah yeah <laughs> I'm so serious <laughs> my <laughs> petty is unifying 2020 yeah <laughs> well, it's it's not it's not quite as catchy as oh, that, as, 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 oh uh, my god, in, god. In, the, in the words of a great statesman your mama is paid to play uh, as as uh, Miami City Commissioner Keon Hardiman once tweeted me in reply to me when I referred to him as pay-to-play Keon. Anyway, uh, he is making Miami great again. Too soon?
1: <laughs> Too late? Please follow Corbin, Billy, at Billy Corbin. And, Billy, before we sign off, mm-hmm. okay, so you were talking about the play. Yes. And then you have some other exciting
0: things. Yeah, a lot of stuff that. going on. Yeah, rehearsals have begun on the play. Confessions of a Cocaine Cowboy preview start performances start uh, Thursday March 7th opening night is Saturday March 16th it runs through April 7th plays Thursday through Sunday all those those five weekends you go to CocaineCowboys.com, tickets are already on sale and they're actually they're actually selling uh, pretty fast so if you want to pick a pick a date pick a seat uh, now's the time cocainecowboys.com March 2nd at the Miami International Film Festival this is a first for us we have a rack and tour double feature. Um, at the uh, 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 on Cayocho, actually, uh, Tropic Cinema. Um, they're going to be world premiering our new documentary, Magic City Hustle. Um, this is about former UM athletes who um, went and became professional highlight players last year at Magic City Casino. It's really? pretty wild. It's it's pretty funny. I wasn't expecting
1: you to say that. Spoiler
0: alert: they're not very good because it's a really hard sport, and a sport that's played by little kids in Spain, like literally like they're born and they put a sesta you know they put that basket on their hand so and they play their whole lives before they become professionals these guys put on a sesta for the first time in their lives in january of 2018 and in july of 2018 they were officially professional highlight players it's hilarious but it's also kind of wonderful like it's to me it's like it's like the you meets broke meets dogfight of our documentaries instead of Backyard fighting, it's a highlight. It's like it's like an only in Miami hustle that you could just be like one one December you like get an email and it's like, Hey, you a former UM athlete, wanna be a professional highlight player, get health insurance, get dental insurance, make good money, have a chance at a four, like four hundred thousand dollars in in potential prize money, and a bunch of guys were like, Hell yeah, I'm gonna sell my ice cream trucks that I'm driving, I'm gonna put down the hip hop music, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a leave of absence from being a cop. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a break from being an Uber driver. I'm gonna take like wait, wait, so. These are young guys, I guess. You well, know, these are guys. You no, know, I mean what, these are guys. I mean, 30, I mean, some of them are in their twenties, but some of them they're in they're their forties. Some of them are up there, you know. And and so it's an interesting. It's a real like you know, it's like Slapshot or major league. It's like this kind of area. ragtag team of guys who you're really rooting for, and they're just just. I mean, they were world class athletes back in the day right. in sports Isn't that they like, grew up that right. they grew up playing. Right. Right. The highlight american them. it's a spanish sport you know from ba- the basque region of, of spain the, you know these guys grew up as you do play baseball play football play basketball they don't you know track and field they don't know from this highline nonsense like, how
1: did this story come to you like how
0: do you find yeah. it who well like yeah them? we we were it, it was put on our radar by some um you know former um folks because of the U documentaries and, and they said maybe you want to come and follow this and we're like that be fun. And so we followed it for the whole season, five months last year. We just stopped shooting in December. We just finished shooting wow. in December. So we're still, I mean, it's a quick turnaround time. So that world premieres March 2nd at the Miami International Film Festival. And the same night, the Miami premiere of Screwball, our documentary about A-Rod and the Biogenesis Steroid Scandal premieres. So we, I get to just sit in one spot, I think, in one theater at the <laughs> Tropic and just just chill. And so I, I think that's going to be a fun, that's going to be a that fun night. Super. And what else is going on? Is that all? This guy? I think that's all. I mean, like there's other things like later in the year but I mean oh, that's, but, a, that's a lot of stuff going on like I uh, have no idea
1: what the hustle is about like, now, immin- okay. like yeah,
0: you have Magic City Hustle yeah so to these guys because you know it opens and they're doing all these different all these different things and you're like what the hell is this all about and these
1: are people that I've heard about
0: oh uh, some of them you absolutely some of them you absolutely have heard of I totally fucked up it's the Tower Theater the Tropic that's actually a theater in Key West so oh, okay, um, okay. I'll just yeah take two uh so March 2nd, at the Miami International Film Festival at the Tower Theater in Cuyocho, we have, for the first time ever, we're really proud and excited about it, a raconteur double feature. So first is the world premiere of our new documentary, uh, Magic City Hustle. And then right at, immediately following that is the Miami premiere, of our documentary Screwball, which we talked about earlier, which is the uh, story of A Rod and the Biogenesis uh, steroid scandal. So that's March second. I don't have a website. I'm sure it's like Miami International Film or something or dot org like... or you'll find it. Right. Yeah, well, it <laughs> <laughs> you know. But yeah, so so in, and and uh, so between the play and Screwball and Magic City Hustle, it's a bu- it's a busy you know late winter early spring, um, and it's gonna be a busy uh, rest of the year too. Um, with a whole bunch of other stuff, but I really hope people come out and see this play. It's a wild ride for people who saw Cocaine Cowboys and remember Jorge Rivi Ayala, the hitman who worked for Griselda Blanco, La Madrina, the go- the cocaine queenpin, the godmother of cocaine. And she, he, Rivi, we interviewed extensively in Cocaine Cowboys, Cocaine Cowboys Two, and Cocaine Cowboys Reloaded, and we had a, not only the transcripts of our interviews with him, but the deposit, the 1,000 plus page depositions that he gave in the State of Florida versus Griselda Blanco. That was a research material for the original documentary. And I remember reading it. I was a theater kid, you know, from New World and I was reading it to prepare for an interview. And I'm like, wow, this would make an amazing, amazing play. And here we are 15 years later and it is an amazing play. It is wild. I will tell you that if, if you've been to the, if you've been seen live theater before, it's going to be wild. If you've never been to, live theater before but you know are interested in the story or are fans of Cooking Cowboys it is going to be even more wild for you because uh, it's going to be it's not a musical okay but it's okay. but it's well, <laughs> but it's it'll be, it's it'll be better it's it'll be, it'll it'll be, be it's wild though it's a wild ride and and uh it's pretty you know and it's and and much like you know Cooking Cowboys the documentary wasn't just about cocaine right. it was about sort of the city of, right. of Miami and, and and how the skyline was 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 really built arguably uh, on the narco dollars generated in that era. We had some pretty contemporary pretty compelling contemporary parallels you know because at its root Cocaine Cowboys a documentary is really about immigrants, children and gun violence and what could be more topical in 2019 than stories of immigrants. Um, sure. Children and gun violence, uh, and that's a lot of. It's and, and and you might not think about it that way if you go back and watch *Cooking Cowboys*. Now you'll be like, "Oh wow, like it's really Unrelevant. it's a story of immigrants. Mean. It's a story right, It's a story of of children mm-hmm. uh, in harm's way and and gun violence. And so it it becomes suddenly a very relevant story to the 21st century. It's not just sort of this retrospective historical look at this wild and crazy time. It, it has a lot to say. About con- you know, serious shit to say about contemporary uh, America. So it's been an incredible process. I co wrote it uh, with Oren Squire, who is uh, another local boy made good from the Opalaka. Speaking of crazy cities, crazy corrupt cities, uh, the FBI literally raided City Hall. That's how corrupt Opalaca is. Um, that is nothing more than a criminal racketeering organization, and the victims are its residents. Let's be real about this. And the victims are the taxpayers of Miami Gate County in the state of Florida because they are stealing our water and they're stealing our utilities. It's a crazy place. But Orrin survived Opalaka and is now an, a very successful playwright. And I think like something like 30 plays under his belt. He was on the first season of the hit NBC show, This Is Us, writing one of the crucial storylines. And I, I told him, I said, I said, Oren, your job is to make white women cry that's what you did on this is us and he laughs i think like, that was your job he did like the african american family storyline in season one and if you watch that show i didn't but i know a lot of white women who did and they all they did was just cry every time sterling came Brown came on screen or, or his dad or his i mean like and the dojo scene i was like oren you just make white women cry that's what you do and he just laughs um, but he is really gifted he is on the cbs uh, show now the good fight, which is the spinoff of I think the Good Wife, and so he's just like he's just like killing it in in killed it in L.A., killing it in New York, um, it killing it now, and 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 so we've just had a, a really really fun time writing this show, often remotely, you know, we're on a Google Doc together, you know, so we've only been in the same room a handful of times, and usually not working, usually not writing, you know, just meeting or talking or working shit out. And then we've, we've written, we've co-written remotely. And it's been a really interesting experience. And I think it was really important getting some other perspectives on it. We have this incredibly diverse cast, Colombian, Puerto Rican, Cuban, Nicaraguan, one Anglo, as is, as Miami goes, right. you know, you know um, yeah, our, our, you know the the, the director is Venezuelan. Like it's just a real, it's a real, a super Miami, super, a super, a super, super, a super like Miami like super. production, and it's right here on Lincoln Road at, at the uh, at the Colony Theater at Miami New Drama, which is an incredible, really like only three seasons old, three years old. Um, this, but they are like they're talking about killing it. They did the first ever trilingual production of Our Town. It was in English, Spanish, and Creole. It was extraordinary. I think it was the first time the estate, the playwright's estate, ever allowed the play to be altered. It's such a sacred text that it's like, no, you got to do it as is. Right. You can be creative with the sets, with this, with that, but like you got to do the text. And they allowed them to translate it. Into these other languages, and it was like uh it was it was just I, I, what I call I call it K-Pasa Our Town. You know, cause it was like right, Spanish, right after, and Rio, right. It was like it was amazing, and and it was so powerful and so moving. And suddenly, Our Town became Miami because like of the representation. And it wasn't just in those languages. There were, of course, Anglo's, Hispanic, Hispanics, yeah. and and Haitian actors in the in the story. So they're doing some amazing stuff there. And it's like it always feels like super Miami but multinational because Miami is multinational so you know it's never homogenous it's always it's always that it's as close to a melting pot as I guess you can get in Miami as far as it you know because even our entertainment options are like Pretty divided, you know what I mean? Like, so the Cubans go here to party, African Americans go here to, for entertainment, white people go here for so it's like there's something for everybody to be fair, but right. but there's it's not that often that like you have a, a um, come together okay. and be like, right, I right. maybe no. ultra, I don't know, maybe that's mostly white people, uh, yeah. I guess. Yeah, what am I saying? Yeah. So, <laughs> so, no. so, yeah, so, so, there's
1: Billy's coming now.
0: <laughs> what am I talking about? There's no diversity there. Uh, <laughs> it's ultra, ultra, ultra white, is what it is. It's like Oscar so white. It's ultra white. No, but but, like, but, but this, is, this is a place where, you know, and, and I think I'm excited because so far, like the way the ticket sales are going, there's a, a lot of first-time theater goers. You know, people who check that box that like, no, I have not been to the theater before. And that's because they're fans of cocaine cowboys or whatever. So they're coming, they're coming to experience yeah, live they're really theater for the first years. time. Um, it's been 15 years since we started researching and working on it. Wow. The movie came okay. out in 06, so okay. it's been wow. 13 uh, yeah. Years since the movie came out theatrically, twelve since people really started to to see it on on DVD. Bootleg dropped in 06, though. Okay. <laughs> summer 06 Was the, summer at, the flea, at the at flea at the flea? Oh hell! At, at the mall? Mart? Oh come on now. That's where that's where it blew up. Okay. That's where that's at the barber shops and the, that's how it happened. That's what that's how it always should. happened. That was inadvertent. And, and every, people think we did it on purpose. And I, mean, I wish we had excellent marketing. I wish we had. Um, you know, mixtape style. I wish we had done that, but we didn't. It just happened viral. In those days, viral meant DVDRs. You know what right. I mean? The spindle. You remember <laughs> the spindle? You remember the, the guy in the Walmart parking lot in the strip club bathroom with the book full of DVD, you know, oh, DVDRs? Right, like the bootleg really? guy. Yeah, the bootleg guy. Everybody's got a bootleg oh, guy. Before, like, Torrance caught on and everybody was right. streaming and downloading, you had the bootleg guy. So, The Flea was like, it was like a hot, it was a hot ticket at the, the DVDR no, at, the, the at The Flea. System. Yeah. That's okay. how it started. That's how Cooking Cowboys <laughs> blew up.
1: But people can get it online now.
0: Yeah, I think it's on I feel like okay. it's on Hulu. I feel like it's streaming on Hulu now and and uh and uh, there's yeah, there's plenty of places where I mean let's be real, just download that shit. You're gonna go on YouTube or whatever. I mean, let's I mean, come on. You're gonna get it however you get it. You're gonna Google it and however it comes up is how you're gonna, gonna get, get it. it. And listen, as long as as long as people are watching, uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm cool. Uh you know, I always say like people go, oh, Cooking Cowboys, that's a cult classic. I was like, yeah, you know what cult classic means? Well, like, what? I'm like, everybody's seen it and we haven't made any money. I'm like that's what cult that's what cult classic means. <laughs> yeah, cult classic. <laughs>
1: Thank you, thank you very much, Billy. Thank this you was, very much. this was far more entertaining than I would have ever thought. Oh really? We should do this again. We should. We should. We should. So yes, I'm definitely Next that's time that's drinks. That's what I was gonna yeah. say. Then I'll tell you the truth. I love then I'll tell my,
0: my cafe here. yeah. Whatever yeah, what we do, yeah.
1: But whenever you add some wine to whiskey. anything, you whiskey, with, a whiskey, oh, you're a whiskey yeah. person. You drink wine, wine, and whiskey. Whiskey. Wine, and wine
0: and whiskey. Wine and whiskey. Yep. W squared.
1: It just makes the conversation that much
0: more entertaining. But
1: thanks again and
0: I think be, we did well sober. Soberish. We did very well, sober. Yeah.
1: Wait, did you give your website?
0: You already told them. They'll just Google yeah, well, you Billy come to Corbin. Yeah, you come to uh, uh, Twitter.com forward slash Billy Corbin, C O R B E N, or okay. Instagram.com forward slash Billy Corbin, C O R B E N. It's all, all it's- at Billy Corbin, at Billy Corbin Director on Facebook, and uh, cookingcowboys.com is, is where you can go right now. That takes you right to the site uh, for the play, for Confessions of a Cocaine Cowboy. Rack and com R A K O N T U uh, R, is our company site where that's the latest news on all the shit that we're doing and uh you know i I appreciate you coming here and and letting me promote my my stuff and and uh and and i really appreciate we certainly always appreciate everybody watching it and, and hitting us up on on twitter even if they're haters you know i love the haters you know but i can't abide the grammar like the grammar shit i can't abide i love it i can't abide Correct by the it like haters come at me i'm good but if just
1: you're gonna hate spell it right right
0: i mean like the president today wrote something about like uh you know the the intel chiefs need to go back to school cuz they're this and that they're the, and but he spelled they're, they're wrong
1: without the t h e
0: r e instead of t h e i r yeah like it's not, it doesn't surprise me he's not only uh uh hum, uh you know he's not only homophobic he's hom- homophonic too all right so Oh, instantrimshot.com is my other website. (laughs) But, okay. This is great. Seriously, this is a lot.